Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday's Talking Football. It's good to have your company. You can listen to us online across central Scotland and beyond. Uh, you can listen on your smartphone and your uh, smart speaker using the TuneIn and the Radiogram apps. And you can also watch us as we stream live the video on Facebook, Twitter and Periscope. Quick reminder, uh, we will be back on DAB on the Glasgow, in the Glasgow area very, very shortly. Uh, so keep listening and we'll give you details of when that happens. Uh, it is coming up fairly soon. Uh, tonight's programme, a busy one. Charlie Richmond, the man in black, is actually the man in grey with us tonight. Uh, we're also going to speak to Pennycook manager Kevin Milne about uh, their victory over Stenhouse Muir to win a cup tie against Partick Thistle. Ross County co-manager Stuart Kettlewell, always good to speak to, to Stuart. He'll be on tonight talking about their... Uh, uh, bounce back at the weekend against Hibs and of course the visit of Rangers tomorrow and we'll also uh, be talking about more championship details in fact we might even talk about that uh, announcement of a loss declared by Dundee United of £3.7 million is that a big loss in these days for a club like Dundee United? I bet there's a couple of exceptional write down somewhere in there as one off costs and I think these are the figures that apply uh, pretty much before Mark Ogren was was in the driving seat and, uh, and he said that he will fund the club to get them back into the Premiership. That's all coming up first of all though let's say a good evening also to Ewan Robertson who's our producer normally, but because he shone so brightly a couple of weeks ago and you were all bumming your chat about him, I've decided to have him back again. It was my decision to come back, let me just let you know that, but I'm delighted to be here. And it wasn't your decision or was your decision? I think, did I, was you... forced, I, think I was pushed into it earlier on. Forced your feet. <laughs> but it's good to have Charlie in because we have him on every Tuesday and it's good to put a, a name to the a name to the face. A face, a face to the name. A face to the name. Rather than crackling through a, a, a telephone I can get a sound effect if you want me, Charlie, <laughs> with an engine running and stuff like that. I'll just nip it to the car park. I can, <laughs> I can do it either way, but some it's actually good to have you in because obviously it gives us a chance to talk about other things, not just the refereeing decisions over the weekend. And we were talking in the office before we come in, so we'll start with it if we may. Uh, Neil Lennon uh, say, well, let me tell you what Neil Lennon's saying. It's, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. Uh, this, have you got a set of headphones there, Charlie? No, he hasn't, has he? No. Right, okay. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do this. And this is Neil Lennon talking about VAR. So have a listen to it. Tell us what your thoughts are after this. I thought initially when they brought it in, it was a, you know, going to be a good good for the game, but I think it's it's killing the game at the minute. You know, Some of the decisions I've seen over the last couple of weekends in the Premier League are, are baffling, to say the least. Um you know, I think of the Watford Spurs game the week before, and then, you know, some more at the weekend. You know, are they taking the decisions away from the referee altogether with what they're doing? You know, now they're talking about bringing the TV screen in for the referee to make that decision himself, which is probably the logical step. Charlie, I had, I did certainly five rounds with Don McVicker years ago about uh, referees and referees being held to account and them coming out and giving reasons why they made decisions. Don was absolutely against it, uh, didn't want it to happen. Uh, we also spoke, and it wasn't about VAR, because VAR wasn't about then, but we spoke about the opportunity 
for for referees to kind of, if you like, be more consultative in some form or another. And he said, no, the referee's decision must be absolute. And at that time, I thought, if it makes the game better and it avoids any silly mistakes or crucial decisions which are given wrongly, I can't go for that. But I'm going to admit that Don McVicker's words are now ringing in my ears all these years later. And I'm starting to think that maybe... The man in the middle has to be the ulti- the ultimate arbiter of what's happening on that park. 100%, Bill. That's what the laws of the game say. The laws of the game say that the referee makes the, the, the sole decision, the ultimate rise in him. And to pick up and Neil, Neil doesn't want it because there's a lot of inconsistencies. They're no using it, in my opinion, in England, they're no using it correctly. When it was first brought out, there was set criteria to be used. And the way the decision was coming to had to go through a set point by point. So we have the decision. First and foremost, it must show a clear refereeing error. And once the the video assistant referee identifies that, then he has got to communicate that to the on-field referee. And that's why you see them in England, they're sitting there, they're standing there, sorry, and they've got their, their, their finger in their ear and they're listening to the communication with regards to that side of thing. But if I'm in the VAR in the studio and I say you've made a clear referee in error, the on-field referee then, for credibility, must go and review that. And at the moment in England, they're not reviewing any decisions. They're just ultimately taking the VAR referee's opinion. And at the moment, everybody is saying that it's the VAR referee who's refereeing the game. So why aren't they using it properly? I would love to. I would love to find out. Martin Atkinson said a couple of weeks ago, I don't want any of my old on-field decisions overruled at the weekend there. He, he cautions Saha of Crystal Palace for a dive and he's, re, he's revoked to awarding a penalty kick from that point. It's it's not. As a referee, you go into a game knowing you're not going to get every decision correct. What you want today is get the major decisions correct. And VAR is round about the major decisions. But are, there, are the major decisions the ones that you're more likely to get correct anyway because they're more clear cut? I would like to think so, but sometimes no. In a crowded penalty area, and we, as, a, as a referee on your own, it's probably the worst scenario with the ball bouncing about and a tangle of legs as a penalty, is it no a penalty? And if you get a bit, you need to come and look at this, then it's yourself. You've got to think of you as your, your self-respect of going across, having a look at it, and if the on-field referee still thinks he's got it right, then that's that. Mm. It finishes. You can't turn around and say to the no, 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 you've got it. No, I think I've got it right by looking at the television monitor at the side of the park. I think I'm still right. And we move on. You and you're a child of the 21st century kind of thing. You, you, you know, you are brought up with technology and understand it far better than... Oh, gadgets like me and Charlie, to be <laughs> honest with that. you. But but the bottom line with this is, as a, as a football journalist as well, give us your views on VAR and, and have we dodged a bullet a wee bit with it in Scotland inadvertently because we can't afford it? Yeah, I think we have. And in terms of a journalist's point of view, if we were at a game reporting on it, and I believe this is the case in England, 
some of them don't have the screens to view the decisions. They've got no idea why the referee's making the decision or why it's been changing. The thing I like to ask Charlie about is, if you've got ten referees in a room, right, and you sat them down and you showed them ten decisions, there's no way they'd all agree on the same outcome for every decision, is there? Because some of them would think penalty, not a penalty. Some things are so 100%. subjective. When VAR first came in, I thought it was a good idea because some calls are black and white, for example, offside. It's either offside or it's not. The letter of law is there. But it's for subjective calls, like a foul, yeah. stuff like that, that's interpretation of the referee. Yeah. But even now, with the black and white decisions like offside, people are given... But I think that's about the shoulders offside and it's offside yeah. and like come on, it's spoiling the game. And I think that's what's happening in England at the moment. It's an opinion at the present moment, as you say, we've got referees in, in rooms and they have a different opinion. The ultimate factor for VAR is it must show a clear, obvious referee in error. And if my opinion is different for your opinion, and there's no clear, obvious referee in error, then who's right? What's clear and obvious? You have to be more descriptive. Clear, clear and obvious as with regards to the penalty. If, if, if I'm running into the penalty box, and if you take the Tottenham Hotspur game, uh, for the guy was going in, he slid in, he made absolutely no contact with the ball and brought the player down. And he, the, the referee at the time awarded, I think it was even a goal kick, when it's clear it's a penalty kick. That's a clear and obvious refereeing error. Guys, isn't it? But, but here's, here's where I don't get it, and it, that maybe it's just the way I think I don't get, get this at all. If it's a clear and obvious error, it would never have been made in the first place. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, yes. If it's clear and obvious, yeah. then there is no room for an error. So it's a contradiction in terms. For me, a lot of this comes down to interpretation. Uh, and I agree with, with you, and it comes back to the old thing, Charlie. You and I have heard it over the years. Put four lawyers in a room and ask them to design a racehorse and they'll come out with a camel. Yeah. Uh, and that's the old analogy that you get with this. And for me, it's interpretation and it's... The way that the referee sees the game. Yeah. And and various referees, there are certain referees you'll see that will blow up for the least thing and there's other ones who'll let the game flow and you think to yourself, this is going to be a good game because yeah. there's been a couple of meaty challenges in there and he's letting them play them and that's the way I would like it okay. to be. Now, you see if you d take that all away and this is yeah. why I think the man in the middle has to then ultimately be the ultimate arbiter of this. You take that away and you end up with something which is going to be completely homogenised. Uh-huh and will be of no interest to anybody as a spectator sport. Uh -huh. As a referee on the park, you are viewing the incident from one angle, and one angle only. And you give your decision on that. Now, if you think about it, if you take the picture, you go to Boots, you develop the picture, and you look at it, and you make the decision. Obviously, you can get pictures developed elsewhere. Um, but as the VAR official you have then got three, four, five different camera angles. So that could potentially show a clear and obvious refereeing error because if the referee thinks there has been contact, as he looks at it, but from a different camera angle, there is clearly no contact, that's a clear and... That's what it's brought but into. I, I agree and I see that. what you're saying, but I'm starting to think that, to be fair, if the referee sees it and gives it from the angle he's seen it, that's the important angle on the park and it doesn't become an error for me. It becomes a decision, right. and it's a decision that he's made. Uh -huh. and, and for me, the other thing is as well, what is it going to do ongoing for the confidence and, you, if you like, the fallibility of the referee if he feels that 
Big Brother's watching him and ready to intervene at any time. I think what you're doing, and I use this word guardedly, but I actually believe it, and I'm going to say it, I think you're starting to emasculate referees now. Yeah. I really do. But, But as a referee going out there, you've got to try and forget about that and try and referee the game with your confidence. You've got that appointment because your ability and the way you're refereeing has got you that. So go out and trust your ability. But how do you do that. that if you're challenged three or four times, say, in one half about a decision you make? And and we, who knows how this will escalate the way it's been used? That's, that's the other side of things as well. And that's where the training of when does the VAR official come in? Is he coming in just because, and we heard it in the Women's World Cup, is he coming in just to make a name for himself or is he actually coming in to help? Is he coming in to help or is he coming in to hinder um, in regards to that setup? Why don't they come out and tell us who the officials are who are watching it miles away from the game? I don't think that would help, help, with, help with decisions because at the moment we have no idea who's making these decisions. I don't... I don't know if that would help you, and I don't know. I don't know. Would it make a difference if um, it was Lee Mason who was fourth official, or would it make a difference if it was Martin Atkinson that was fourth official? They're both credible referees in the English Premiership, so I don't know if if that would come into from that point of view. My main uh, issue with my main issue with VAR, it's not so much about getting the right decisions all the time, but it's more about ruining the game. I think it ruins the game. You see incidents, and there was one in the. Champions League early in the season where Haaland scored for Salzburg and it was he was only 18 years old it was his first time playing in that it's always hat-trick goal 18 years old Champions League hat-trick goal he didn't celebrate because he was worried about being offside it, same with supporters if you're going to the game it's all about the supporters at the end of the day they want yeah. to put their hands yeah. in their pocket and they want to support the game they go week in week out they love their clubs for, for them not to be able to celebrate a goal because they don't know if it's going to be given offside I think it's ridiculous it's honestly ridiculous you get all these Incidents where players might now go and celebrate a goal that happened at the weekend in the Crystal Palace game with Socrates, he did a knee slide, everyone piled on because he thought he scored a winner. Yeah. And he looks like an idiot because it's given an offer offside uh, for a foul. That can't be good for the game. It's not a good for the product. No. And and the biggest thing you mentioned there, Ewan, was that is you've got to keep the paying public up to speed of what's happening to it. Standing there with your hand in your ear. Now, that's only five seconds, but what's coming? What's happening? Yeah. What's gone with regards to that? And I bow my hat to the rugby. The rugby show in the screen, the conversation between the referee and the uh, VAR official in rugby, what's it, what's it called? Um, hey, TMO. Yeah, TMO. That conversation is played out. Now, we saw it in, in, in Saturday there. England scored, in the opinion, perfect, two perfectly good tries. They go and celebrate, but all of a sudden, the on-field decision is a try, but the TMS, TMO says it's not a try. And the way they get away with it is because they produce it in the big screen and then the public are involved. The public are then. Unfortunately, uh, how many times before VAR come in, a goal was scored, everybody's celebrating, and then you've got <coughs> the assistant referee standing there with his flag up, we're taking that for that time, I think. I think that will always be in the game now uh, you even see lovely defence splitting pass, the centre forward runs on, we check across, I'm onside and I go and finish, if I'm offside and I see the flag going up, 
we tend to run away for the ball with regards to that setup. Charlie, Charlie, it's part of the problem. Just before we leave VAR and go to the actualities of the yeah. the referee and the kind of decisions of the weekend, it's part of the problem with VAR at the moment and why it's coming in for so much criticism that it's hit the English game at the same time as so many rule changes, including the handball one, which I think everybody's getting wrong at some point yeah. at, uh-huh. at the minute. Is it? Is it? Happened at the wrong time, but maybe in England. Uh, but the rule changes because of countries, and again, they're all under the umbrella of FIFA for the laws of the game. They've been using it before, so these law changes are coming in to support VAR. And I think the biggest issue is because England are not using it as it was set out to be. They're not using it consistently with regards to the four criterias that was first initially set out to be. They're going, they've just been mentioned literally yesterday that the Premier League are now going to look at changing the rules and allowing the referees you to mu- go over yeah, and look at yeah. the screens. Because at the moment there's been, there's been 26 overturned decisions in 100 games. The referee's not went to look at the monitor once because he's not allowed to by the rules. Uh-huh. So sure that has to change. Well, that's a again, high percentage. Again, that's, that's over right. a quarter yeah. of, being, you, of being overturned. And if you remember, uh, a couple of months ago, and maybe even six weeks ago, Mike Riley came out and said, from those overturned decisions, there was four clear errors mm-hmm. because the referee is not going to look at the screen. If, if you're saying to me, Ewan, that's a penalty and I don't give the penalty, if I can't see it, right, do I then trust you, your opinion, over my opinion? And it becomes, well, who's right and who's wrong? And it seems to be the VAR official, because he's in the television angles, or the, the number of televisions, well, he must be right. I think one of the reasons that the, the Premier League didn't want the refs going over at the start of the season was the amount of time it took to come to a decision. I think they thought that if it's done elsewhere and the refs have to go over and look at it a couple of times and run back... It would reduce the time and decision-making process. I believe that is why they didn't implement it at the start of the season. Could it, would, it take, would it take any longer for a referee to go over and have a look at a screen than it took to decide Raheem Sterling didn't interfere with playing, wasn't offside? Four and a half minutes it took them to make I, that I think decision. That I, think that decision. I, th- I think that would have speeded up the decision. Yeah, I agree. I, agree I think you would have got it with regards to that. last point, sorry, Bill. No, fine. We're, we're talking about goal-line technology. The first thing that they brought in could not communicate to the referee in less than 15 seconds. So FIFA put that as a major uh, advantage or or disadvantage that the referee must have sort of communication whatever way in 15 seconds, Mm. whether it's a goal or no goal. That technology works brilliantly. Yeah, because it's been advanced, advanced, advanced. The problem with it originally was the sighting of it. Now they actually raise or lower stands to make sure that the the technology, the cameras Uh are actually mounted at the optimum level. When it was first come out and it was trialled, they weren't doing any of that stuff. It was, we can stick it where the best line of sight is, but it didn't give the best trajectory view. And they actually now, and this is why it's so expensive to get goal line technology, it sometimes requires stands to be raised or lowered uh, for them to actually get Uh the the, trajectory of the camera right. I don't think we're ever going to get in Scottish football because A, we can't afford it, and B, I think there's there's goal line technology already in Scotland. It's an end, it's, you know, full of fans. (laughs) That tells you it's a goal. There you go, but it has to, and that's when that came out. 18 months to two years later, 
it works perfectly now. Yeah, it does. So, yeah. so VAR has come into to, to England, and again, you and I wholeheartedly agree that the finance, because everybody's squealing for money to do this and money to do that, and there probably will be better or bigger priorities in VAR in Scottish football, but it's the... But do we need to bring VAR in to make the game better? But goal, like, goal line technology, again, it's black and white. The yes. ball is either over the line 100%. or not over the line. It's, it's not a subjective call. I think when you use VAR for subjective calls, we're going to get one person that thinks A, one thinks B, and it's never going to work. But I'm going to disagree with you. He's offside. Is a yes or no? Yeah. It's a clear, obvious refereeing error, i.e. he's awarded the penalty, and it's not because there's contact or no con- enough contact... I'm, I'm bringing the word enough contact. Then go again, enough, no contact. Where, where's the, what, how much is enough contact to give a, to give a foul? Because you've got to remember that football, football is a contact sport. And when when did we go back to making football a contact sport, Charlie? That's, that's when, always, when, when, when did always, that happen? It's always been a contact <laughs> sport with regards to that. <laughs> and that's another thing that annoys the living daylights out of me. Oh, there was contact, so we must go down. There has to be enough in, in the concept with regards to that. So we're bringing in VAR. VAR was brought in with these scenarios. Is it a red card? Has he missed a blatant red card defence? Has it ticked these boxes mm-hmm. um, with regards to I, the... I honestly think it should never come to our game. I really think it's just... A, I don't like it at all. Do you think the Premier League will ever pull it? Do you think they'll ever say, enough's enough? I'm a bit cynical. I think we could now see, in a couple of years, VAR sponsored by X and Y or... No, I think you're breaks, right. I think you're absolutely that's right. Why I think it's, that's why I think it's here to stay, because I think it'll be ad breaks. Yes, yes. become Americanised. Like, you know in America? Yes, it's ads, 100%. And that's why I think that FIFA, UEFA, and the big, the big bodies, whether the Premier League, La Liga, wanted to yeah. say. No, I think you're 100%. absolutely right. I yeah. think I think that is a very real possibility. But I'll tell you one thing, just just finally with it as well. And I'm going back, really. And somebody called me a dinosaur earlier on today. And if that's the case, I'm quite happy to be one. The bottom line is there was nothing nicer than coming out of a ground at the end of the game going into the pub and then saying, what about that decision? about so, That's part of football for yeah. me. That's part of being a fan. It's The biggest talking point of any game is usually a refereeing decision. Yeah. See, when we take that all away, the whole character of the game changes. Uh-huh. It becomes sterile. It's homogenised. Uh, moving on and talking about the, the weekend, Charlie, uh, let's start with Rangers against Motherwell Tavernier, the penalty. Hey, for me, that's not a penalty kick. I think James Tavernier is very clever and played for it. He, he saw the young boy, uh, Polworth, coming in to try and block it and he's moved it to the side and he's actually ran into him. I think he's played for the, the penalty kick. Uh, and, of course, if you look at Andrew Dallas's position, he's over towards the left-hand side of the penalty area. So, therefore, looking at it, it looks as if he's come through from that and... and bars them for there. You're a referee, right? See, before that penalty decision, which I think it was 50-50, it would depend on what you look at it. I mean, if that went to VAR, it would be a clear and obvious mistake. Before that penalty decision, I thought Rangers were unlucky not to be awarded a penalty and there was a couple of decisions for handballs. Yeah. That, for, to me, as a journalist, every week, I think that plays in the rest's mind. I know referees will come out uh-huh. and say it doesn't, uh-huh. but I think if it's a couple of decisions, they, they let go, and there's another decision near after they're more inclined to have a penalty. Yeah, if, you, if you've if had three or four or five penalty claims and you've turned them down, yes, this, it, it moves on and moves on and moves on. And I'll, I'll make a wee quick statement here. Uh, four weeks ago, 
uh, and I like Chipper. I think Chipper's a, a great character. Hamilton have no HUD what's happening in other games. All of a sudden, the last three games, Hamilton have had penalties. Mm-hmm. Um, for that side I think they've had the most penalties in the league. You look at it from that point of... And what, we're, and what you've got to think about managers and players is, and, and spectators is, they're potentially not worrying about that decision at that time. It's the next one. It's the pressure on the next one. It's the pressure on the next one. And that 50-50 opinion decision might sway the right way. Uh, with regards to there, but going back to the Tavernier aspect of it, is that a clear? That's an that's an opinion decision. So see, going back to what you said at the beginning, you and put ten referees in the room, you would get a split. I don't know what if it would go five five or six four or seven three, but you got a split decision in that penalty. I thought it was quite that penalty between uh, Tav and Polworth was quite like the one between Dan James and I think it was in the Norwich defender at the weekend where it seemed like the contact was almost initiated by both at the same time. And it was a, a difficult one for I me. I thought Tavernier initiated the contact by running up the back end when he asked that. But, but then again, there was contact there. The one, thing, the one thing that I always worry about is, is uh, and we've spoken about it before, Charlie, and that's if you go into any kind of tackle or any kind of block and you, your leading leg is the one that gets in the way, I think you're always on a hiding to nothing there. Because... Whatever you do, whether the player is smart enough to play for it, mm-hmm. if you go in with your leading leg, you're going in at knee height. <laughs> He's got to get past that, you're and that's your problem. And so if you're going in with your leading leg, you're asking for it. Uh, and for me, that's always a danger. Mm-hmm. Going back to what Ewan brought up, and I think this is a really good thing again, and it comes back to handball and about you know an unnatural position or making your body bigger. They're two different things for me completely, obviously. There can be a natural position that makes your body bigger, but, it, you know, it looks unnatural or whatever. Huh. It depend- It's a subjective thing again. It comes down to a player, his balance. You could see him tackle all over the park the same way, uh-huh. but because it's in the box and it hits his hand, nothing happens. You know, you, you, you give a penalty. And I worry now that we're getting so much inconsistency over handballs, whether the referees are not interpreting properly the new rule, whether they're reluctant to implement the new rule because it's so ambiguous, if you like. I don't know. Tell me what your thoughts are on this. What I would say, and I said to you a couple of months ago, was that the daylight, the distance, the distance between the arm and the body with regards to where you are now. The first incident you're talking um, when the ball was played in from Rangers attacking down the left, the Motherwell defender, his arm is always in beside his his body. It's always in there. So when that hits his arm, that is never a penalty kick because he's not made his himself unnaturally bigger um, from that point. When you go to slide tackle, does your hand have to come above your arm? Uh, does your hand have to go above your head when you're slide tackling all the time? Majority of times you're sliding where it's done here from mm-hmm. there. But the, the clearest one was um, Davis when he went to lift the ball and the mother will defend her. His hands are above his head. So that is the most unnatural in trying to make yourself bigger that you will ever see. And that should have been a penalty kick for, for Rangers in, in that game. Right, okay. Uh, Any other specific incidents over the weekend that you felt needed uh, scrutinising all over again? The the Livingston Hearts game provided a a few a few decisions from from that (laughs) point. Um, There was two 
decisions or two incidents that happened very similar. Um, the the Livingston on the attack, and I uh, was it no, it was Hearts on the attack, and he knocked it by the Livingston defender, and there was just a free kick given. Now that's a clear barge. That's a step across. You step across to block from there, and it happened in the second where the player did get the yellow card. So those two decisions, and that's where the spectator would get the inconsistency. Well, yeah. if it happened there and it happened there, why did the decisions not meet the same merit from that point? And then the big talking point was um, Suda. Suda. Um, he has got no. And uh, he's got absolutely no uh, thought for player safety when he has tried to do that bicycle kick into the back of the net. But at the same time, he's looking directly at the ball. He doesn't know. Is it Berra, I think it was? Berra's come across Berra's and come made across a header. And, I don't know. It, it is reckless, yeah. But at the same time, he's not intentional. So, so where do you draw the line there? I've just been simply reckless. Reckless and dangerous, but the tick box here is the player's safety on, on that point. There is no consideration for player's safety from from that. He's actually had to take a couple of steps and then launch himself. If you cast your mind back to last week, the St Mern St Johnston goal, the player has just flipped himself over with a brilliant overhead so there's n- there's no concern about players he then has the, uh, the, the Livingston player has just taken two steps and launched himself and again the scissor tackle um, in regards to that I'm afraid that's a, a red card every day of the week in the, the referee's no, respect look, I, I probably do side with you that I do think it's a red card I just think that sometimes <clears> when, when players do you know what really annoys me in, in football and it's, it's like purposeful fouls like tactical fouls Man City are the best. The professional foul. Manchester yeah. City yeah. are the best club in the world at doing it. Pep Guardiola, whenever the team breaks because he's had a high press, if they're in a dangerous break, they'll always do the foul. And it's quite interesting because see referees in England this season are clamping down on it. You but, look at how many bookings they yeah, get this season. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like that. So even something's not a deliberate foul, I always tend to kind of maybe a bit, be a bit more. Uh-huh. Well, up in Scotland many years ago when Terry Butcher was the manager of Motherwell, Terry's tactics was to stop the game at halfway. If you, if you can stop the game by whatever way, at halfway, you run the risk of just getting the free kick. Mm. Whereas if it goes closer to the penalty box, then you run the risk of free kick and yellow card. And every time, and that's what he'd done. And you saw players then who, if they were skinned, looked over their shoulder, they knew there was a gap behind them, they would just shut pull or they would ankle tap. Um, regards to going, going back to Suda's uh, overhead kick, his bicycle kick, for me, one of the things that a player's got to take account of is his position on the park. And if you're in a, a, an 18 yard box or somewhere like that, you know there's going to be congestion there. Yeah. So you've got to have some kind of spatial awareness about you. Uh-huh. Got yep. to. 100% looking at it. Again, for the <laughs> for coaching point of view, for the AstroTuff, the ball's going to bounce up. Why does he know? He must. Or maybe maybe he doesn't he, but he must be aware that somebody's going to come in. Just get your body in front of the ball and shield it, and then but if you're, potential. Uh, but, but if you're penalty. playing, and you're not going to be thinking about oh, what happens if a player comes in. You got a split second, the ball bounces up. You just bang. You want to get make a contact and score a goal. 
you're not really going to think about oh, what happens if this guy comes in here, what happens if this guy comes in here. Uh-huh. I don't think I don't think that goes through a player's thoughts. No, I don't know. I think you've got to have some kind of awareness as to where you are on the park at all times. Well, and and Charlie's see. just made a good example of it. Terry Butcher and stopping things at halfway. You have an awareness. You've always got to, as a player, you've always got to have an awareness of where you yeah, are, yeah. your positional sense, which yeah. is why it's called positional sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I agree, but in terms of it's because he's coming from a blind side. He's not seen him, so I, I don't see the ball's running away from you, right? And you see the guy no, coming and you go over the top of the ball. Then I can understand. No, Benners came that way, and and Sudas came that way. So I'd be very surprised that his provision, his provision, peripheral vision that he. Can mm. Charlie, uh, Liam Telfer, who's a regular contributor of the programme, says, ask Charlie if the Hearts keeper should have been sent off for taking down the Livy player before the Livy red card. Uh, I think it's a penalty kick uh, when, the, when the ball, when he loses it and takes it from that. The question I would ask is, do you think he's made a genuine attempt for the ball? If he's made a genuine attempt for the ball, it's a penalty and a yellow. If he's made no attempt, then it's a, a penalty and a red card from that point when you actually look at the goalkeeper he's went in to try and flick the ball away from that mm-hmm. side yeah, of thing. Yeah. so he, he, in my opinion from the looking at that he's made a genuine attempt so it Penalty kick and a yellow card. All right, sir. Good to see you. Thank you very much for coming in and joining Pleasure. us. You're welcome at any time, any uh, Tuesday. Uh, Charlie Richmond, our man in the middle, the man in black, telling us what his thoughts were. Uh, we're going to come back and we'll talk to the Pennycook manager, Kevin Milne, on Talking Football after this. Here is an important announcement. 60% of UK businesses haven't switched their energy suppliers over the past three years. That means 60% of UK businesses could be wasting thousands. If that's you, contact Love Energy Savings now to see if they can find you the best deal possible. It's easy, it's fast, and we do it all for you. Don't be one of the millions that miss out on significant savings. Text the word SAVE to 6677. That's SAVE to 6677. And your business could start saving. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So take one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists, experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284987. Grant Henderson Tankers, let the experts manage your waste. Have you picked up the Feel the Heat brochure from your local plum base? Get one today and take advantage of great offers, including Polypipe's Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket at £99.99. That's a 15% saving on purchasing individual pieces, and it's exclusive to plum base. The Polypipe Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket is just part of the Polypipe range available in the plum base Feel the Heat brochure. Shop online now at plumbase.co.uk or grab one from your local branch. Alan from Bolton was persuaded persuaded by his bank to put his savings into an investment bond, which then lost money. Luckily, Alan contacted Goodwin Barrett, who helped him claim back £15,500. If a bank or financial advisor persuaded you to buy an ISA, unit trust or investment bond and you lost money, then Goodwin Barrett may be able to help. To discover how much you could be owed, text GOOD to 6677. Text GOOD to 6677 now. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. 
Okay, talking football for this Tuesday night, Ewan Robertson, uh, who's back by popular demand. He made quite an impression with you the uh, the other week when he was on. You guys were saying how good it was to have some young blood uh, in the studio. Ewan will be back with me in just a minute. Charlie Richmond has just joined us. Uh, <laughs> Sober Dad says, Charlie can only come back on when he says every penalty awarded to Rangers is correct. Uh, oh, we can't be doing that again. We had all that yesterday. Uh, Liam Telfer, people say VAR would stop controversy in football. It seems to have created more since it came in. And I think that's a fairly a fairly good point, uh, Liam, and I wouldn't disagree with you. Um, I, I'm very much of the opinion now that we, we kind of look at VAR in a totally different way. We either use it in a different way or... We're in a situation where we just let the referee be the ultimate arbiter. Uh, that's my thinking. Uh, I'm kind of coming round to that all over again, Ewan. Uh, I must be honest. That's what you said, but just generally in VR, we don't need it in Scottish football. It doesn't benefit the game at all. Okay, it might. If I got every decision right and it took away that ambiguity, I'd be for it, but it doesn't. People still disagree over the decisions. I think it ruins the game for fans as well. Look at every game at England, you hear all the fans singing a certain word in VAR, so it's just not for me. It's not for me at all. What What's your your view, though, on what people say about Scottish football being left behind? But left behind from a bad thing, is that... Do you know what I mean? I well, think. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if we're left, being left behind, to be honest with you. It's just something I was... And I've said it before on here myself that I worry that we then look as if we're being left behind and everybody else is moving to a different level. But I also say on a regular basis, not all changes progress. I agree with that. And I think the game in Scotland, I love the Scottish football, I love everything about it. And I think the game is unique up here. We've got great fans. We've got. A, I actually believe we've got a very good product at times as well. So I think we should just embrace what we have and try and look at other things which would help improve the game look at ticket pricing for example being one rather than look at something like VAR which I, I don't think brings mm-hmm. anything to our game look at I heard Levine say today he was saying he's for it yeah of course he is but I think that's because the way he plays football and, but we won't go into that right now either he said it's unfair for our referees because they're not getting the big European games because of it did you see Willie Collins' decision last week in Europe for Roma mm-hmm. the ball hits Chris Smolin bang in the face and he gives a penalty so I think maybe our referees need to look at their performances before we start using that as an excuse as to why they're not getting the biggest games. Okay, that's fairly controversial and straightforward. Maybe that is something that we'll talk about uh, next week with Charlie. Uh, Let's move on now, speak to the Pennycook manager, Kevin Milne. Kevin's a particularly happy man. He beat Stenhouse Muir with his team at 3-0 in the Scottish Cup on Saturday. Sets him up nicely for the next round, third round tie with Partick Thistle. Uh, Kevin, first of all, thanks for coming on. My first question has got to be... uh, uh, the pyramid system is the pyramid system yep. helping to bridge the gap between uh, the former ju- junior teams who are now in the east of Scotland and uh, the SPFL teams in the lower league? Because I, I mean, it's a great result for you, but it's it's becoming less and less unique for clubs at your level to actually beat the senior clubs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think. You know, historically, you look at teams like Ock and Leck, for example, and Lisco Rose, who have always done well against um, sort of higher league opposition. And I think you can now see that the the quality that's in within our league, you know, especially at East of Scotland, um, it's almost like the, the old junior league. Um, so, 
it's, the, the gap is definitely there. It's, it's closing, though, and uh, and I think the more and more uh, seasons go ahead, the closer that gap becomes. And you know, for us, we are we are one promotion away from Lowland League, but to get out of these leagues is really difficult because there's only one spot. Um, and likewise with the the Lowland League, you know, there's only one spot from the Lowland League and the Highland League team. So, you know, it's quite difficult to, to actually get out of these leagues. But, and, but the quality that's within them, I mean, you look at Cove Rangers already, they've, they've set um, you know, that league on fire by how well they've done. But, um, you know, Edinburgh City as well, they've done real well. But it's, it's taken a, a lot of uh, sort of finance and effort to get, to get the teams to where they are. But do you know what? We're, we're in the pyramid now and we've got the opportunity. So it's just up to not just Pennycook, but other teams that are in our league to, to push for that, that spot. One of the things that you look at with the, the pyramid system is that it seems to be kind of shifting sands on a constant basis at the moment. There's talk about Lowland League 2, there's talk about a, a similar league being started in the west to the east of Scotland League. Uh, it seems to me that it's been a success in general. Edinburgh City Cove are living proof of that and the way that they're doing so well uh, in the SPFL now. But it seems as if there may still be a lot of upheaval, Kevin, to go through before it's actually perfected and everybody's pretty happy with it. Yeah, I mean, I think, and uh, I think a lot of the teams, a lot of the members that are in the, the sort of SPFL, um, they've got to have a little bit of protection because you know they've they've been in the leagues for so long. They're the ones that have kept the foundations alive for all these leagues, and to suddenly lose them um, to to maybe not to teams that don't have as many supporters or fan base, etc., uh, you know, they might look at it and go, no, this is going to actually, um, you know, make our, our leagues less appealing. But I think, you know, on the flip side, you, I, I look at the, the crowd that we had on Saturday um, at Stenhouse Muir. I mean, we had over 1,200 people there, and, and, I, and I, I bet you won't get that sort of crowd in, in sort of normal league matches in the, in the second, well, League Two, um, or even League One to that extent as well. So, you know, these clubs do have big fan bases. You look at Bonnerig Rose again, you know, they've got a massive fan base and Kelty Hearts. So um, I think it's time that we just have to let the shackles off these teams and, you know, one up, one down. That, even one from the Lowland League, one from the Highland League to go up and then, you know, vice versa. They have to come down out of the league because eventually what you're going to find is these clubs that are um, in the Lowland League at, at, at the moment are, are financially better off than some of the clubs that are in higher uh, divisions and they'll only get stronger and stronger so for me it's probably going to be more appealing to try and let these teams in Kevin, you and Robertson here, I 100% agree with everything you've got to say I actually played in Easter Scotland League when I was at Stirling Uni and the quality of some of those teams around the time the best sides there were obviously your lease and stuff like that And but to yep. see the growth of the league and to see the junior sides come in I think it's crazy that only one team goes up and down it's the same with the Lone League up into League 2 I think whoever wins the Lone League should go up automatically. I think whoever wins the Highland League should go up automatically and two should drop down. I think that's the only way about it. Yeah. In terms of kind of the thoughts about the league, because look at the third round of the Scottish Cup. Yourselves are in it. Broxburn are in it. And Lifco Rose are in it. And you're all about 6th, 7th, 8th in that league. So that must show how strong the league is on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I mean, we are in the position in that league... Um, you know, we've had a few defeats, but we're also a few games behind as well. But you know, even looking at the top, the top ten teams in the East of Scotland League, they would compete very well in the Lowland League. You know, so 
they, they would be challenging to go for promotion in Lowland League, never mind East of Scotland League. But it's, um, you know, we can't expect too much change too quickly. Um, you know, ultimately, these clubs have just moved into East of Scotland and, and, and we can't just start demanding, oh, we need to get two up just for the sake of, you know, getting two teams up. It has to be a process. But, you know, I, I said it in the press earlier this week as well, it needs to be a conversation. There needs to be a point where we go, do you know what, actually, these, these, these clubs are strong. These are big clubs. You've got Bonesh, you've got Camelin who are doing very well. You've got Linlithgow Rose, you've got Trenent, who are also on the rise as well. You know, so we've got a lot of big clubs as well as ourselves that are striving to keep going, pushing on. And, you know, there's a lot of work that goes in behind it and, and a lot of finance to, to try and get us there. But we're prepared to do it because we want to try and get to the highest level we possibly can. Um, and just you know, it, it, us battling out for a place to get into the Lowland League, where you know you would expect every team in the Lowland League should be better than every team in the East of Scotland League, but it's just not panned out like that. You know, I, I, I've seen a result a few weeks back where uh, Trenent um, beat Galatasaray six 0 Do you know what I mean? And, and that's, that they're in a league below. Now that shouldn't happen. But just the way that the format is at the moment, that's where we're at. Kevin, I don't want to gloss over the result of Stenhouse-Muir because we mentioned it at the top and then went off on a bit of a tangent. But it's a great result, 3-0 uh, on yeah. the Cup on Saturday. Davy Irons has been doing pretty well since he, uh, since he took over at Stenhouse-Muir. So that is a very, very good result. Is it too glib and too cliched to say when you go into a game like that, what do you do? Do you do, you do anything particularly differently for your training? Or, or is it the old cliche where you just say to your, your players, listen guys, we've got nothing to lose, go out and enjoy it? I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. I mean, we did have to change our shape because we went to go and watch um, Stenhouse Muir Waterford in the in that caramel wafer cup thing and you know they were very good and, and we, we identified where their strengths were and we tried to nullify that as, as much as possible so we changed our shape and we, we don't normally spend that much time in training to do shaping we spent uh, you know we had two weeks to prepare for it because obviously our game got cancelled uh, the week prior to it so we had two weeks to prepare and we did a lot of shaping so there was you know the, the boys were well drilled so we did change the way that we trained. We did change, um, you know, the style of play that we have. But I think you have to do that, especially if you want to go and win. You know, you don't want to leave yourself open against quality opposition. And, and you know, let's not make any mistake about it. Stenhouse-Muir are a quality side. Um, and, you know, it, it, all it takes is then for have a, a bad day and for us to have a good day and make sure that we're disciplined, make sure that, the, that all the boys stuck to their jobs and that's what they did and you know that's what got them a result you know it, it, it's one of those things where we had 1200 people there supporting the boys as well that gives us that gives them an extra lift so that's why i'm saying there is that wee bit of cliche where there's no pressure this could be our last opportunity to play against a senior club and to be fair there's a lot of the boys in the team that have never played against a senior team before so mm-hmm. they didn't know what to expect or or the level that they're going to be up against but I think after you get your first shot away and a, your first good tackle, you could see the boys growing in confidence. And, and to be fair, they, I think they, they spooked Stenhouse Moon a little bit. Just going back to the crowd there, almost 1,200. What, what norm, what's your normal gate for a home game, Kevin? We usually get, you know, in the region, about 300. 
um, you know, on a, on a good day, and then you know between 200 and a sort of a, a, a team that doesn't have a big fan base, you know. But we, we're usually between two, three hundred people at our, our games. So, see, as a club, how do you go about getting those fans that came down to watch the Scottish Cup die and week and week? You look at the Bonnie Rig Rose game as well, and some of the attendances yeah. at that level are, are quite good for the big games. But it's all about bringing them in week by week. How do the clubs go about capitalising on what could be quite a big fan base? Because all of these towns. Are passionate fans. Yeah, I think it's just capturing them when they come down to these events because, um, you know, uh, if we had played that game and and, and we got trying to say 6 0, then these people might just switch off and go, you know, what's the point? They're not that good, so it's no entertaining football. But, you know, we put on a show, but every time we got the ball, we looked aggressive, we looked looked good on the ball, we looked like we were going to counter and and score, and, and, you know, we were doing lots of nice stuff. And it's the same with Bonnerick, you know, they, they've got the same sort of ethos as what we've got, where they want to work hard, but they also, when they have the ball, they look after it and they play nice football. And ultimately, that's what people want to see. They want to see good football at competitive, in competitive matches that are exciting. Um, Pennycook's a growing, a, a growing town, you know, we're getting a lot of new houses built on the outskirts. Um, Pennycook's a relatively new club as well, you know, I, I know we've got a history, but we've we had a break for, you know, t- nearly 20 years. Um, and we re-established ourselves back in 2002. So, you know, to build up the fan base again, that, that's been a big thing. And, and hopefully now um, people that have came along will still want to come along and see us and, and, and come to the games of, you know, we've got Crossgates on Saturday, for example. I would like to see people that have maybe came on Saturday come to that game as well now. Just going back to that, you look at the big clubs, obviously around where, where your team are and your stuff like that, and a lot of people at the moment are disenchanted with the pricing of these games. It can be extortionate to go to, especially if you factor in a couple of drinks before the game, maybe a pie, a programme, then your travel. Is that something that's attractive about football at that level, that it's still got that sense of being very raw, you can go down, it's a lot more affordable, maybe go for a few beers in the clubhouse after the game and... You might get to know the players and a manager a bit more than you would at, say, a top, top level team. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, affordable football, that's that's what we're all crying out for these days. And, you know, there's the, the football that's getting played, and not just by Pennycook, but other teams within our league and the Lowland League, it's really good to watch. I mean, you look at uh, the top teams in, in the Lowland League, for example, Bonnerig and Kelly, I mean, some of the football that they're producing just now is exceptional. And, uh, you know, they've got big names in their teams. So, um, you know, it's a bargain to go and watch them. And it's, you know, you're, you're so close to the pitch. You, you know, you can get to know the players. You get to know the, the committee. And you can feel real part of the club as well. So, you know, I would, I would encourage anybody, you know, to just give it a shot. Because it, it's, it's, it's something that you'll go to and you, you might not turn back. And you can get involved because clubs are crying out for volunteers all the time. And you can feel really part of it as well. And... You know, without without the committee, without these volunteers, the clubs don't run. So, you know, if you want to make a big impact in your town and you know feel like you're you're putting your energy into something, come down and and, and give it a go and, and watch because you know it might be the best thing that you do. Kevin, you've picked up a plum tie for the next round. Partick Thistle, Ewan's yeah. a Jags fan. Uh, he'll pretend yeah. he's wishing you the very best, but we want Thistle to win, <laughs> trust me. Uh, but it's a great tie for you again, isn't it? And it's high profile, and it's moving up yet again. You know, you're going into the championship. Yeah, definitely. And then I think the, 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 the beauty that we had 
um, with with uh, our fixture being on Saturday was we knew who we were going to be facing. So you know, I gave the boys that extra incentive. I don't know if it had the same incentive for Sten, you know, for Stenhousemuir as what it did for our boys. So um, that gave them that extra lift. Um, but you know, to play part like Thistle away as well, the pitch will be hopefully in good condition, and I, I'd imagine it will be. They're a full-time team. They've got some players who that are playing there that were that are some of the other players' idols. You know, you look at Kenny Miller, and I mean, we've got a few Rangers uh, supporters on our in our team, so they, they'll be looking forward to coming up against players like that. And and it's you know, for our supporters as well coming out. I mean, we've already I think they've sold out three or four um, busloads. You know, wanting to go through, and so. For us, we should we should be carrying a good support. But what I would say is, it's great that Partick Thistle have recognised yeah. that it's a Scottish Cup game. It might not be a glamour game for them, but they've reduced their prices for their tickets so they can get more punters through the door, create a wee bit of an atmosphere within the ground, and make it a right Scottish uh, good Scottish Cup tie. And you know, I said to I said it in the last round as well. Yeah, they'll go in as massive underdogs, but do you know what? All it takes is, you know, maybe holding them at a draw, getting them back to Pennycook and, and see what happens. So there, you look at Auckland like last year, they came up against their United, their United were flying top of the league, um, and they produced a, a, great, a great result against them. So, you know, anything's possible. No, I do wish you all the best, but again, again I'm a Fissel fan, so... He's lying, Kevin, I can see his face, he's lying. There's no there's no sincerity there at all. I've already picked I can up... Tell, I can tell by his I've already picked up Craig Stevenson, Sam Jones, Sean Stewart, so I'll be sending a wee scout report over to Collie ahead, <laughs> ahead of the next game. But just in terms of what Fistler have done, putting the prices down to a tenner for an adult and a fiver for a kid, I think that's fantastic from the club and they really deserve to be applauded for that because now, because Fistler fans might think, oh, Penny Cook in the Scottish Cup, we might not bother going to that game, but... Now the prices are at that game. Hopefully, your boys had the opportunity to play in front of a, a big crowd at what is a, a very, very yeah. good pitch. And you, you go in there, you must be confident, though. You must go in with a sense of confidence. Again, we'll go into the game the same as how we went into the Stenhouse Muir game with a wee bit of freedom because there's no pressure on us. And we're in, a, we're in a, a win-win situation. You know, there's no expectation for us to go and win that game. So we'll just go in and, and, and we'll prepare. We'll make sure that we're prepared. We'll make sure we, we, we do our jobs properly. And as I say, it, there's, there's no reason why you can't, but it's going to be a massive, massive task for the boys. I know it sounds a bit mercenary, but you've got to think about this, and that is the financial rewards of getting ties like this. And, and so from that point of view, if nothing else, it, it gives the club something to build on in terms of money in the bank. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, the main thing for us is, I mean, last year we we had to spend um, a lot of money to to get our license for the club. You know, there was a lot of things needing done to the ground and uh, and whatnot. So, you know, a lot of the money that was made so far has been repaying that back. So, you know, to get this far, I mean, we were expecting it was going to take us maybe two or three seasons to pay that back. But it looks like we can do it uh, this season. And uh, and hopefully, if he's if he's listening, he can put that into my my transfer budget for next season. <laughs> we'll, we'll soon see. We'll soon see. Uh, you're, 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 we're doing so well then until you just said that and then all of a sudden your credibility went out the window. If you think anybody on a committee or a chairman or anybody like that is going to put that money in your transfer budget, you've had it. You know you have. <laughs> You can all but ask. Yeah, Just, that's well, that's true. They, they recognise the work going in, and, and you know the boys have worked hard for it. And to be fair, I think um, 
the, the club need to be rewarded for it as well because they've put in a lot of hard work and, and this will be a nice little payday for them. It's brilliant, obviously, you've got these buses getting full and you're going to take a lot of fans through. I was actually saying, I tweeted out earlier just congratulating Thistle for putting the prices down, but I was saying the away fall and you probably take to that game there'll be a lot of Scottish league clubs who'll be very envious of it just in terms of your players going up to that game and going to the game on Saturday how difficult is it or is it at all to keep them motivated to go back to the league and in the games just before the Thistle tie when it's such a big glamour tie I'm sure all your boys are raring to play in it is there a worry that maybe their heads start to focus on that in terms of how they play in the league and stuff like that yeah, and I think that comes down to our, our job as well. You know, the coaches and management, we've got to make sure that the boys recognise that, you know what, enjoy enjoy this while it lasts because it's now back to the nitty-gritty of the league and, and, and we've got a couple of cup games as well before we play part like this. But, I mean, the other, the other incentive for the boys is they've got to, uh, you know, play at their skins to, to get, make sure they're in the team for that game. So if that's any incentive, then... then you know, we're a team that if, if, we're, if we're at our best, we'll win the game. You know, and that's it's as simple as that. We've got to be at our best to win every single game. And if they put the same work rate in as what they did on Saturday, um, the quality will shine through, and we'll and, and we should be able we should be okay. But you know, we're not underestimating any teams. We don't think that we're coming into this game thinking, "Oh, this beats Dennis Smear, we can beat anybody now," because um, you know, it, it pinched us in the backside the last time when we played Cumbernauld. You know, we beat them five-one in the. And the Scottish in the first round, and, and you know the following, they lost their next three to four games. So, you know that was always the worry. But I think we've learned from that. I think we understand now that you know you've got to turn up, and get everything in every single game, and, and and that's our job this week is to make sure that their that their their heads are in the right place and ready for the next game. Listen, thanks, Kevin, for coming on and talking to us tonight. I'll say it, and I mean it. Good luck against the Jags. No, I do. I give them all. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, white man, speak with forked tongue. Don't listen to a word they say. I hope you get a replay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you get a replay. All sincerity I'll, there. Hope you get a replay. I'll definitely. I'll be. I'll probably be at the game, so I'll get you for a beer after the game. But all the best um, going into that. Ewan's want a replay and then an extra time and then knock us out on penalties. Aye, aye, that, that's what he's looking for. That's. I don't, even, I don't even want the extra time, Kevin. Because then the players. Are <laughs> I hope you're having a miserable time on the 23rd of November. Uh, yeah, so, uh, Kevin, after that game. thanks a lot, pal, for being on with us tonight. No, Good luck for the rest of the season and against Thistle. Thanks very much, and I'll speak to you once we, once we beat Patrick Thistle. <laughs> you're right, you will. I'll have you back on, and he'll have to sit here listening to it. I'm taking a holiday next week, so it's all right. <laughs> thanks, thanks again, Kevin. There we go. Kevin Milne, that's the Pennycook manager, talking to us tonight after that great result at the weekend, 3 nothing against Stenhouse Muir. Um, got a game against Patrick Thistle for their trouble in the next round, the third round. Um, listen, generally you're going to think to yourself that, that Thistle are going to kind of romp that one at home. But these are, the, these are the games that clubs don't relish in cup games because, as I said earlier, I know it's cliched, I know it's glib, they've nothing to lose. All they need to do is go out and just enjoy it. It's a lose-lose for Thistle, isn't it? Because yeah. if they get knocked out of the cup, it's a disaster. If they only win by a couple of goals, it's a disaster. But I think Thistle's a great club and there's a, there's a genuine amongst the fans people are realistic and they know and they'll probably look forward to them coming and a bit of a banter and they'll probably the fans will probably meet up for a few beers before similar to what happened to when Colin's key came there'll be no animosity there and they're probably 
just hoping they have a great day. Listen, just going back to Thistle as well, and well done to the club for taking that decision about dropping the ticket prices to a tenner and a fiver, respectively. I think that's extremely creative and good, and it's it, for me it sends out the right message. Get people in, let Pennycook enjoy their day, a, a big club with a decent crowd, uh, and let Thistle fans come in and enjoy a game and, and support the club as well, which it, it's a great initiative that it's a good thing they've done yeah it's a credit to whoever made the decision whether that be Jerry Britton or the powers to beat the football club I think what might have spurred on as well is the fact that when Fissel played Connors Key in the Caramel Wafer Cup it was a televised game 5.15 it wasn't included uh, as part of the season ticket and the crowd was really poor mm. I think it was somewhere I was at the game I think it was around about one five, one six. now Saturday's attendance was pushing 3,000 so it shows you that if you're going to put these cup games on and the ticket prices remain high, then the desire for the fans is going to drop. So I think it's fantastic what the club are doing. I think a lot more should do this, especially when it is lower league and, and non-league teams that come to town. Right, you're a Jags fan, we know that. Let me just ask you what your thoughts are on Thistle's predicament at the moment. I think it's very apartic Thistle, isn't it, at the moment? We've, we went to Inverness, got a fantastic away result. We went to Dundee got a fantastic away result under Collie and Sam's in between those fixtures we've had games at home where the expectation levels would probably be higher than, than going to those away games and they've got beat twice now Fissel haven't won a game in the league this season that is a beggar's belief and I asked Archie after the game do you think that there's a mentality amongst the players that as soon as something goes wrong at home they struggle to come back and they don't have that confidence and I think he agreed with me, but it's credit to the fans, because the fans are not turning against the team at home. The fans have been fantastic since uh, Ian McCall, Scally and Archibald came in. I do think Fistle are a work in progress. I think there's an imbalance in the squad. For example, I was at the game on Saturday and they started two full-backs as wingers, simply because a couple of injuries and stuff like that, and there's the balance left by Gary Caldwell in the squad wasn't quite there. I think Ian McCall's the right man, of course he is especially with uh, Scally and Archibald as well, I think he will turn it around. But I thought if they could have won on Saturday, then they moved off the bottom of the table. They have overtaken um, Arbroath as well. So it was a really, really disappointing result of the weekend. It's very difficult for me, I think, anyway. It's very difficult to take anything for granted in that league. The Championship, as we know, for the last five seasons has been ultra-competitive. And we said at the beginning of the season, and, and the good thing is, Ewan, you're only, what, nine, ten games in. Ten games in, nobody's cut loose. Yeah, well, you're, two, a- you're two points behind... The, the next, you know, couple of teams and then kind of you're not cut away in any way, shape or form because we're so early into the season. Here's the thing though, Thistle have got to put teams away at home otherwise it starts to smack a wee bit. Remember three seasons ago, four seasons ago when Thistle were losing goals in the last minutes of games and things like that and it was all going horribly wrong. For me, you're never going to take anything for granted against teams like Arbroath and Alloa because they will spoil the party for various teams throughout the season but you've got to try and beat those teams around you. We've spoken about it before. Yeah, I've watched both Arbroath and Alloa on numerous occasions in person this season. I think they're a credit to themselves, their managers and their clubs. They've done fantastically well. I know Alloa are sitting second bottom, but in terms of the football they play, it's as good as anyone I've seen in that league. I think United have played the best football I've seen this season under Ian McCall. 
But other than that, I think Alwa plays good football as anyone in that league. And obviously, when, when Peter Grant went in there, he made the pitch bigger and he's changed our style of play a couple of things. And they're doing well. Our broth just Dick Campbell just he just keeps doing ah, it, doesn't the he? Bunny just does it, he, he does wee, it and he, does it. He had a wee dig at a certain uh, prominent Dundee sports writer after the game on Saturday. He said that every single week he writes me off. So he actually said to me that. He's going to see him tonight and uh, put him right. So <laughs> I don't think um, that certain journalist is actually at the the Arbroath game tonight. I credit to themselves. I think Fissel will be fine. Look, I think January will be a very, very exciting month if you're a Partick Fissel supporter. I think there'll be a few people come into the club uh, and it could be quite interesting to see who that is. And I think that... In- Just very quickly before we go to our next guest, do they need to get this whatever's happening in terms of takeover over the line sooner rather than later? Look, it's been very quiet at the moment. I was very close to the situation. I've probably taken a step back uh, for a couple of reasons. It has gone quiet. The- I don't think it's having as much impact now as it was because you remember what it was like a month ago. It was mm-hmm. every day there was claims and counterclaims. I don't think that helped anyone at the club. Yes, it needs to be sorted, but at the moment, do I think it's affecting performance on the pitch? No. Okay. Let's bring our next guest on, our final guest for tonight, actually, a man that's no stranger to us all and always a pleasure to talk to him, Stuart Kettlewell, the Ross County assistant to, uh, well, actually, dual manager, co manager. Stuart, how are you? I'm fine, Bill. You're doing me a disservice there, are you? Uh, assistant manager. I, 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 I kind of got carried away with whatever I get carried away with. Co-manager. Uh, obviously, Stephen Ferguson's your co-manager with you. Uh, Stuart, let me ask you this, because we were talking uh, on the show at the beginning of the week, um, and we'll come on to the Hibs match in just a minute, but the, the pundits kind of have been saying that the Celtic result... Uh, which was probably a sore one for you, was really a free pass for, for, for Ross County in as much as you'd have gone there not expecting to come away with much. This is their words, not mine. But it would have smarted losing six goals, surely. Yeah, I think we've we've obviously we've obviously had that bit of an inquest in-house. Now, I think, obviously, Neil Lennon had said after the game that... In, both his spells as Celtic manager, it was the best performance he'd, he'd seen from his side. So we knew that we'd come up against a, a, an, an excellent version of a Celtic side um, on that day. But I think from the rest of us, um, we've, we've never been in the habit of losing games 6-0 and, and, and having that sort of... It's, it's a humiliation. It doesn't matter if you go to Parkhead and play against Celtic. Um, for us, it's, it, it, was, it was a difficult pill to swallow. And I think just more in the sense that we probably felt that we seen something from our team that we hadn't seen and standing back and admiring what was great play. It was very good play at times. I think you've probably seen the goals in some of free flow football, but we just felt as if we never we never influenced that in any way, shape or form. Now, whether that's breaking up the play, whether that's uh, disjointing the, the, the flow of the, the game or whatever, um, and that was a great frustration for us. And um, th- these are all the bits that you learn as as a manager as well. We keep saying that obviously myself and Stephen are fairly young and inexperienced in doing this job. And sometimes you feel powerless. And it's a it's a lonely place standing at Parkhead when you find your team six 0 down with I don't know in the best part of fifteen twenty minutes to play whatever it was. Um, so there, there was a lot of lessons learned there. Um, there was a lot of pride hurt. Um, and I think that from their point of view, it, it was a good opportunity to sort of push the reset button 
um, and, and address one or two points that we feel that we're going to have to use taking forward into games. We, we, we see it's relentless here. We'll, we'll probably speak about it going forward here, but you've now got Rangers to deal with at home, so um, there's no let-up in this league for us. Besides your football club, there's no let-up for us, but there was certainly a lot of lessons to be learned in the day um, that we lost 6-0, um, and I think sometimes those lessons can be extremely valuable going forward, and um, I think if we walk away from that one and try and sweep it under the carpet and say it's a freak result, then um, that you're on the risk of a similar thing happening again. So we we had to we had to make sure that there was um, a, a lot of education from from what happened on the day. Stuart, you know that I'm a great admirer of yourself, of Stephen, of Roy McGregor, of the club in general. Um, but you also know that I'll kind of you know be fairly straightforward with you. I have to say, at the beginning of the season, first two or three games, I thought you were adjusting to the pace of the the Premiership, uh, and and there was kind of games that I was watching where I I could see players waiting for the ball to come to them rather than going to meet it. You've got up to full speed now and sitting sixth in the table, which is a great achievement even this early on. How are you feeling overall about the team's performance and about adjusting to coming back into the Premiership again? I think I think we're all really positive, Bill. I think I said to you um, maybe way back at the start of the season, I think this is everything that we asked for. This is this is what we wanted. We we worked exceptionally hard and probably dealt with, with a lot of pressure, if truth be told, um, to get the club back into the Premier League. I think I think it said to you that our remit from day one of taking charge and knowing that we were going to be um, taking care of the team in a championship season, our remit was simply to to win promotion. We had to get back to the Premier League. Um, and you, we talk about Rangers and Celtic dealing with the pressure and the fan base and the expectations. I think if you put it in a relative circumstances, then it was huge pressure on ourselves and, and the players. And I think that we, I think that we all come through it very, very well. I think we dealt with the situation very well. Um, and and I think that the big the big emphasis for us was to make sure that the players were ready to play at the start of the season. I think it's so important that you got off to a good start. Now we've had a couple of bad results in there, but. We always feel as if we've got that ability to bounce back, and 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 I think Saturday probably proved that that fact. Um, but again, we we've got no divine right as a as a football club, and I keep saying this as if I'm undermining our club, but we've got no divine right to to compete with some of the clubs that we're competing with. So we have to we have to find a formula which is different from last year, where you you deal with the times 60, 60 odd percent possession in the ball and trying to break down uh, a deep defensive block. This year the scenario is slightly different, and we're the team that has less possession of the ball in a lot of games, and we have to find a, a formula of um, one playing away from home and two dealing with the expectations of playing at home and, and making sure that that we're competitive in, in every game that we play um, and and it's a total different mindset. Bill, I have to tell you, it's a completely different mindset. I think we were, we were used to fight the, trying to deal with breaking teams down last season, and you you feel as if you maybe crack that and have a formula to deal with that. And then this season, a lot of your emphasis comes on a, a solid base. And um, again, I need to say that it's, it's it's a brilliant experience. It's a it's one that I, I thrive off and probably keeps me awake at night trying to think of different <laughs> ways of how we can address situations. And I think every manager tells you that, but. I can honestly say that myself and Stephen do it with a smile on our face every single day. I think um, we're often guilty uh, as all in football of, of taking things far, far too serious and, um, and and making sure that 
uh, things become a drama when they're really not. It's not really as bad as that. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. In actual fact, we we played Celtic at Parkhead. I think it was maybe our third game or so under our tenure um, in the Premier League the last time we were in, and we lost our captain. I said this to the press before the Celtic game. We lost our captain. Um, to send an off, Andrew Davis was sent off. We lost a penalty. We lost our goalkeeper. I think we're a couple of goals down at half time. And Stephen and I are in the dressing room looking at each other, and and you're literally at that point you're speechless. What what do you do? You're you're totally powerless. How do you how do you deal with? It? And Stephen, as he always does, puts that smile on my face and starts singing, always looking the bright side of life. And it's points like that where you 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 have to you you have to um, you have to have a human element. But I suppose that's what I'm trying to say. And amongst all of this, we know how serious it is and we're all fighting for our football clubs, but in amongst all of that, there still has to be a human element, not to the point where it becomes a total joke and we don't take it serious, but at the end of the day, we are all human beings and we feel that we're trying to do the right thing for our club. That task is slightly different this season, um, but it's one that we're, we're both thriving off it and we think that our players um, have, have been excellent in that approach in the early part of the season as well. Stuart, just before I bring you in, and he'll probably want to go back to the Hibs game, and it's a very simple question, and, and really requires just a simple answer. If I get, if I said to you that a quarter into the season you were sitting in sixth in the Premier League, you'd have taken it, surely. Yeah, we would have bit your, we would have bit your hand off for it. It's as simple as that. We would have done. I think you you look at what's happened with other clubs, um, people asking questions elsewhere. We just had to make sure that we got off to a reasonable start, and for us, sixth. Is the sixth position is definitely that. Just going back to that Hibs game, Stuart, obviously we spoke off the phone uh, a couple of times, but you were eight goals down without reply um, against Hibs, obviously you went 2-0 down in the sixth and at Parkhead. Something I've noticed on your, your side, I've watched is a few times in the flesh this season is the resilience and the mentality uh, amongst the group. And I think that maybe comes from having a lot of experienced pros on the side, but is that something that you've found to be crucial to your season because you've, you've fought back from 2-0 down against Hibs and came back and got another excellent point in the capital uh, I think um, I think when you speak about mentality I, I think we've got that in speed loads that's that's the wee bit that we sort of pride ourselves on you and I think uh, we, we were we were prone to doing that last season I think we scored an awful lot of late goals and late winners last season um, and fortunately enough we've been able to carry that forward to this season it got us a valuable point on Saturday by that sort of never say die um, attitude I think you, you probably the sports scientist guys will, will take into the equation the fact that you've you're obviously your fitness levels have to be high to, to, to achieve that as well so there's a lot of different factors that are good in it um, and I think it's a brilliant trait of a, of a football club to to have that belief that you can you can play to the 90th minute and that you're always involved in a game of football and and as I say, fortunately enough for for us in our spell, um, that's been something that's been really profitable and um, and, and long may it continue. How important is it having the the blend in the squad? Because you've got, like I said, look at your team. You have like Foster, Fontaine, Watson, Fraser, Midge, Draper, Mackay. They're all quite experienced players. But then amongst that, you've got some really exciting young players. Also, you and Henderson eh, on loan from Celtic, and then you've got the likes of Gavotzi and stuff like that. How important is having that blend in the squad? But also the experience and getting you when you're back and they know how to do it. They've been in the top flight before and know how to get you through games. It's massive. Again, we we always talk about having that. We always wanted a blend when we were when we were bringing our squad together. But I think what you have to have is a hunger. It doesn't matter whether you're 19 years old or you're 39 years old and you've had a brilliant career in the game. No matter what happens, we try to look at our players as equals. So even the experienced guys 
um, we we like to treat in a in a very similar vein to the to the younger guys. Um, and I think from that sort of blend, um, we we've seen a great unity in our group, and we actually see the the most experienced of a, a Don Cowie, for example, um, socialising with the 19, 20 year old and almost being that sort of mentor figure to them. So I think it's so important that we don't create a divide in our in our group. Um, and as I say, from from those varying ages, you get a lot of, lot of different attributes. You you know you look at that real energy that comes from the younger player. And you look at that calm head, that experience that comes from the guys in the in the, the early mid thirties that we've got that have played hundreds and hundreds of games, and we think we've got that balance pretty pretty spot on as it stands just now. Um, but it's so important, as I say, that these guys don't stand still. That the younger players want to try and have the career of a Liam Fontaine, a Michael Gardine, a, a Don Kerry, um, but also that these experienced guys still want to achieve something with the football club. And, and as I say, it's something that's worked pretty well for us. And, and, and we obviously look to try and maintain that going forward. Stuart, can I ask you, uh, we, Gordon Young's in with us on a, a Monday and he, he seems to think that the Premier League's not as good or as strong this season uh, as it has been. Uh, I disagree with that. I think it's just as strong. I think you're in a situation where there are teams not doing or performing as well as as they have done or could do. Um, we always say it's important for teams to beat the teams round about them or seem, teams of a similar ilk. You must be particularly pleased that you've been picking up points against the likes of Hibs and Hearts uh, and getting those points because they're ones that you really you would have to fight for or expect to fight for normally. Whereas with other teams, and we'll talk about Aki's at the weekend because you're going to there uh, about that, but, but generally you, you've picked up points from teams where you would expect a bit of a battle normally and, and maybe not come away with anything. So you've done extremely well on that front. Yeah, I think, again, it's, Bill, I think you're spot on. Uh, first of all, um, I, I don't agree with that statement. I, I, I firmly believe that the league's equally uh, as strong as it was last season. Potentially, it, it, it could go stronger as far as I'm concerned. I think you're I think you've got a Celtic team that are obviously shown that they're a, a, an excellent version of um, what they've been over the last three seasons. Um, I think Rangers are much stronger, in my opinion, of what, and more consistent than what they have been. Um, you look at Kilmarnock, I don't see a huge difference there. Motherwell stronger. And even the ones that are getting criticism just now, the, the Hibs and the Hearts, for example, two of the big city clubs, um, I think we're, we're pretty much all certain that they'll come strong as well. I think that maybe missing a lot of players and um, trying to find that level of consistency but I think you always know that they're going to come strong I don't think there's any dispute about that um, but just to just to, to go back to the question I suppose um, that, that has been something we, we need to pick a battle sometimes so we go into the game tomorrow against Rangers and I think we'll all look forward to a, a full house in Dingwall under the lights the pitch will be perfect um, and, and we, we genuinely believe that we can go and try and achieve something in the game um, but the bigger the bigger prize for us and the bigger battle for us, so to speak, is against the teams that that are of a similar budget to us, of a similar size and club. Um, I think ultimately that's where we'll be judged, Bill. I think that that's where people will start to um, decide how well or, or how poorly we are doing, and and that will come off the back of how we can uh, try and influence games against. You've you've mentioned Hamilton's probably a good example in terms of the the size of your club and um, and, and the size of your fan base. So that that's probably one. For us on Saturday that we see is a, is a huge game. We obviously got the better of the fixture in the opening day of the season up here. 
and I'm pretty sure knowing Brian Rice that, that he'll have his team set to, to, to come after us on, on Saturday um, but that's where we have to make sure that we're at our absolute best um, and, and looking to pick up as many points against the teams in that similar sort of region um, and, and I think if we do that and we continue to play in the fashion that we have done at the start of the season we give ourselves a good chance of um, being in a, a reasonable position come the end of the season I'm a geek, Stuart. I like to look at football quite analytically in terms of, of tactics and stuff like that. But picking up on what you said about players coming with hunger, that also applies to Nicky Foster. He obviously less Johnson and with the career he's had, he's had nothing to prove. But since he came into the club, he's got a couple of assists and he also used them in, uh, in midfield on Saturday. Yeah, we did. We did. We actually played them off. He's went from left back to the uh, sort of right midfield role on Saturday, yeah. Just in terms of obviously with Ross Stewart being out and stuff like that, he's a player who, if you look at the size of him, he's six four, he's an imposing figure. But you also sometimes use him off the right hand side, and that must do you feel when you use him off the right, it surprises teams. Uh, you, you know what? I think every team we play against, I think Ross Stewart's been that sort of not surprise package, but I think everybody sort of um, is a little bit stunned in his uh, in his quality and what he brings to a game. You and I think he's. Um, for us, he's been he's been absolutely superb. It's been a, a process to to get him up to this this place. I think when he initially came to the club, he never got much of a look in. He was patient. He tried to listen. He tried to learn and improve. And we've just seen him week by week. He just goes from strength to strength. Now, obviously, we want to keep him at the football club as long as we possibly can. But I think equally, when you look at a, a, a six foot four offensive player that can run like the wind, has good soft feet, can finish, very good in the air. Um, we're, we're not stupid to think that there won't be clubs sitting up and taking note of, of what he's done um, but I think we have to say as well Ross is just an absolute brilliant type um, a guy you have about the football club that wants to listen and learn and is coachable um, he's as good as I've seen in that in that front um, and, and then obviously not having him available changes how we, we approach the game on Saturday and somebody like Richard Foster suppose he comes in and plays and what a brilliant pro I know there's been a lot in the press and all that and don't really want to comment on that side of things, but um, we, myself and Stephen knew him from his first spell at Ross County, knew him pretty well, knew it was about, we know he's a, uh, he's a winner, he's a fiery character, um, and we've, sort of, we've embraced that as well as our players and, and his attitude and, and his quality and what he's done um, since he's come back to the football club has been first class. Um, and just a brilliant guy to have about the place so there's different options there you go for the young and the old and there's different options and guys that bring different things to the to the party um, we've got a few more coming back from injury which gives us that little bit more of a headache but a good one um, so we, we do, we feel as if things are moving along nicely at the minute um, and we have to be wary of what's, what's going to be a, a heck of a tough couple of days for us against Rangers and Hamilton Just stay on Ross for a minute I remember watching like it was at Farhill last season they scored two goals and I mean, that's one of the first times I've actually watched him or perform at that level. I was really, really impressed with him because for such a big guy, like you said, he's good with the ball at feet, he's got decent feet and he's light, he's pretty quick for a big guy as well. In terms of his journey, because obviously he came from the junior football, does that give his appetite maybe, he's got more appetite to learn the game and take things in because he's not your stereotypical type of footballer and because he's experienced the game at a lower levels now that he's playing at the highest level he can in Scotland that he's got that desire and that capacity to learn because I, I genuinely think that if I'm looking at Scottish strikers of that profile I don't think there's many about at that level at all No, that, you're, you're spot on again you and uh, you're right you are a bit of a geek when you, you go into all that sort of <laughs> analytical stuff I'm uh, no, um, it's Ross's journey is one that 
um, it's probably a wee bit similar to the likes of Josh Mullen at the football club, but it's something that I always um, take a lot from because it's a wee bit similar to my journey as a player, um, and it's something that I love to see. I love to see these guys that have made their, their way from the, the bottom tier in the country, um, have had to persevere with um, tough conditions and um, you, you know not having everything perfect set for you. And, and having to sort of graft your way through and try and make your way to the, the top of the game in this country. And, and that that was that was always my ambition, playing third division football at Queen's Park. I always wanted to play in the Premier League and have an opportunity to pitch yourself against the best. As I, I can assure you, it's a very, very hard road to go. An easy option sometimes is, is to give up and you know throw the towel in and say that it's too, it's, it's too hard work and nobody's doing anything for me to try and get me there. They're two guys, and Josh and, and Ross Stewart, they've done it the, the, the very difficult way as far as I'm concerned. I think Ross stepping back to Celtic as a young kid, playing junior football, Albion Rovers, Alloa, um, and then getting an opportunity to come and play at St Mirren and then ourselves. I, I, I just I love the story, I have to say. I just love the story. I think it's one of those stories that sort of we all light up listening to um, in, in Scottish football, um, and, and we really do. We, we've got high hopes for... We've got high hopes for Ross. We believe that he could play um, a lot of games for our club and be successful at our club, but maybe even bigger picture, I think he's got a chance of, um, of going to another level. Stuart, let me let me uh, just talk about your trip to Hamilton. I had Chipper on with me last week, and uh, we were talking generally, and, and, and there's a couple of things I want to bring into this conversation. The first one is he felt that the, the gulf between Rangers and Celtic this season was going to get wider. Uh, from other teams. Just quickly, your reaction to that comment? I think I think there probably is something in that, Bill. Again, um, I, I just think that both both teams are firing all cylinders. Rangers are more consistent. Um, but we're worlds apart. I think certainly ourselves and the likes of Hamilton, we're, we're worlds apart with the finance we've got, the fan base you've got. I've already been through that. I'm, I'm boring you with that side of things again, but um, I think that there is potential that Rangers and Celtic really drive each other on this season. Um, both teams sitting at the top of the table just now, but they're obviously looking to try and outdo them. each other. There's a title race on, so nobody, I don't think either one will take their foot off the pedal. Um, so, yeah, I think he's I think he's probably onto something in saying that. Uh, he also said that, you know, we were asking about how he, he deals with players and he says he knows the ones to cuddle and the ones to nudge, um, but generally he's fairly level-tempered and even-tempered in the dressing room. Uh, by all accounts, that wasn't the case after the St. Johnson game on Saturday. He took the paint off the dressing room walls, which means he's going to expect some kind of reaction uh, against you at the weekend. You're obviously aware of that as well uh, and preparing for that. It's going to be a difficult journey, isn't it, to New Douglas Park? I think it always is, Bill. Yeah, I think it always is. Um, Chipper's somebody that myself and Stephen know really well. Um uh, and, and have a massive amount of respect for. I, I think he's just a brilliant football guy. I've, I've sat many an evening up here um, at a Broader Rangers game randomly on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night just wanting to go out and watch a game and Chipper would be the guy I've been sat beside. You know, he's, he's, he's that type of guy, probably similar to yourself. You just want to go out and watch football and immerse yourself in football. Um, some of the Nottingham Forest stories that you get from him are brilliant. I'm sure you've heard a few. I, I did. Talking stories and such like. But, no, I, I think I think for us, everybody talks about the surface. We don't we don't bring that into the equation at all. There's no excuse for our players to say that we're we're playing on astral turf um, and that we think that that makes the game more difficult for us. 
Um, we know Hamilton train on AstroTurf all the time. We know that that's the surface they, they tend to play from. Um, that's just another factor that goes into the game and we'll never, ever allow our players or ourselves to use that as an excuse. I think what I think what we'll do is, is experience a much tougher game than what we did up here. I think Chipper was really despondent and disappointed when, when we won 3-0 up here and I, I think we certainly expect a, a much tougher task than, than what came that day. We were slightly unexpected and uh, maybe in how easy we scored our three goals in the opening day of the season. Um, and, and we know he's a, a wily fox as well. We know that there's the, the potential for him to chuck in a curveball and a, a slightly different shape of personnel that, that may change the, the dynamics of the game as well. So um, we'll, we'll try and prepare ourselves as best we possibly can. I think we just need to go in with two feet and uh, go full throttle into the game on Wednesday. I think it takes care of itself with, with the, the magnitude of the game where Rangers come into town um, and we pick up the pieces from there. We see who's in a position fully fit and, and ready to go and play on Saturday. And, and we've obviously got to try and believe in what we do as well because we, we've, we've touched on it. We believe we've had a good start to the season um, and, and we see no reason why we can't go down and, and look to try and pick up three points at New Douglas Park as well. Well, I, I did kind of go back to front on this one because, and, and there was a reason for it, but you've preempted me a wee bit, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, and, and that is the fact that Chipper wants a, re- a reaction from the Aki's team uh, on Saturday, but again, you might be looking for some kind of lift from your team, depending on the display tomorrow night against Rangers, who are coming to Dingwall uh, under the lights, as you said, uh, and and again, it could be a double whammy potentially, Stuart. That you know, let's be honest about it. You could be trying to get the team back focused after a possible result that may not suit you against Rangers, uh, and then go into a game with Aki's. Talk about tomorrow's game, because Rangers have come under a wee bit of criticism on occasions as well for not performing possibly as strongly as they might consistently. Um, But even at their worst, Rangers are a difficult, they're a hard team to beat and a hard team to play against. Again, we were not trying to... Uh, pass the buck here in any shape or form, but we're never going to be judged on what we do against Rangers and Celtic. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just it's just not the scenario. But um, completely different from what happened at Celtic Park. Well, we we want we we want and we need to give a good account of ourselves. We need to make sure that we don't stand back and admire. Um, you're, you're talking about that little bit of criticism from uh, from the Rangers' point of view. Um, I think you just go through their team. and uh, From me, I watched them last Thursday, as you guys probably did as well. I thought it was a terrific performance from a Scottish team against arguably what you would say is a European giant. So I think that that, that's what we are preparing to play against. We are preparing to play against a team that went toe-to-toe with Porto. There's probably a case to say that they could have won the game um, against Porto. Um, And we need to put that into context. and, And we have to make sure that our players are prepared to play against the best um, the Rangers will have to throw at us. Um, I'm sure Stephen Gerrard, with his experience and, and the job he's done at Rangers, will, will have his team um, well-versed in, in knowing that historically this has been a tough place to come for teams in midweeks. You know, um, we've had results up here against Celtics, you know, quarter-finals of Scottish Cup against um, the likes of Hibs under the likes. You know, yeah. There's been a lot of big games over the years that have meant a lot to our football club. Um, so I'm pretty sure that they'll 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 have an understanding that this 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 can be a really difficult venue to come and play, and we've just got to we've, we've just got to make sure that that's exactly what we give them when they come here. And um, I, I, I mentioned a bit in the press, um, I think it was today, uh, just in the sense that we all admire 
um, the, the the magnitude, the size, the, the Rangers, um, the support they'll bring with them, the the manager and, and his history in the game, etc. Um, but I think Roy Keane summed it up, didn't he, the other week there. There's certainly not going to be a case of giving each other kisses and cuddles and, and all sorts before the game. You're going to war, and we have to make sure that that's, that's exactly what it is. And Rangers don't get an easy time yet and find this uh, a tough place to come um, because I think there was so much in what he said. I think we all laughed off the back of it. Um, but it was right. That's what it used to be in football. We wouldn't stand and exchange pleasantries before the game. There's time for respect, and that's after the game, and that's after you've done your job. Stuart, just going back to Rangers and, and talking about obviously tomorrow night, but on the back of their performance uh, away to Porto in Europe, in terms of their ball retention at times in that game, there was one two passes between Jack and Kamara and stuff like that, and it, it really was excellent to watch and it showed you the progression that they've made under Steven Gerrard. And I think you said today they're a different beast. What in particular do you think's improved from Rangers last season to this season? I think that it's, it's certainly the consistency level, but I watched Rangers in Europe last season, and so much of what they've done, um, I don't, I, I don't want to say was negative, but probably in a sense, uh, a lot of the away games in, in Europe for Rangers were, were built purely off of that four-five-one, um, being very defensive-minded, um, giving themselves a solid foundation in the game. But you sort of touched on it there, you and I think their ball retention at times and their creativity going to uh, to play against Porto was. Was, was pretty special, I have to say. I thought oh, I, I, I watched both the Oldham games on the Thursday. I thought that the, the quality of Rangers' goal um, was simple in, in essence, but when you actually put it all together, it was it was just a brilliant goal that they score, and they have several other chances. So I think that that's probably what they would tell you was the progression. It's certainly what I've seen. Um, is I think they've probably added that wee bit more strength and depth. I think there's probably two players for every single position and two players of quality. Um, and I think that that's probably their driving force and, and ensuring that they're able to keep up the levels and, and keeping players fresh is, is the, the, the size and the quality of their squad. Yeah, um, and, uh, yeah. So I was just saying, see in terms of something you and Stephen Gerrard both have in common um, in terms of going into management, you've both went into management quite soon after your playing, your playing career's finished. Uh, in terms of going to addressing you, what do you think are the positives and negatives of going to management at such a young age and, and so soon after you, you finish playing? Because obviously you still have an understanding of the mentality of players and stuff like that, but there must be difficulties that brings as well. I, listen, I can't speak for Stephen Gerrard. Um, you're talking about similarities. I think I hope there was a, a few other similarities as, as players, but I, I don't <laughs> think that was the case. <laughs> um, no, I'm not, I'm not giving you any disservice there, Stuart. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm only, I'm only joking. He is, Stuart, he is. Yeah, he's, he's getting after me tonight, I know. Um, no, I think in all seriousness, um, certainly from my point of view, um, I, I think that the most valuable thing, Bill, you, I know you've heard me saying this a number of occasions, I think the most valuable thing, certainly from being a young manager, coming out of just playing and, and, and coming into this field, I had a, a, a fair amount of experience coaching at a, a younger level. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's so important that you continue to learn. It's so important that people understand that you don't know the answer to everything. We, we keep talking about this ego mm-hmm. thing, and it's see, for me, it's, it's potentially the worst thing that, that, that you'll find in football, a misplaced arrogance, a misplaced ego. Um, I, I, I'm striving, and I know Stephen does the same. We are striving every single day of our lives to try and be better at what we do. Um, the only way we'll do that is, is by listening and understanding to people that probably know the answer better. Surrounding yourself with, with really good people and folk that are really good with their area of expertise 
um, and, and don't have that arrogance, don't have that ego that, that will never let you evolve and improve. And that's that's genuinely how, how we approach this job every single day of our lives. And, and I'm pretty sure Steven Gerrard will, um, will be in a similar position at a club like Rangers, as good as he's been as a player and one, one of the best to have played his position, in my opinion. Um, then, then I think that it will be that continuous learning curve and, and trying to improve in what you do. And I think only then will you be a success. If you don't, you'll probably fall back and fall behind the times. And, and, and I think that that's, um, that that's often a fear and a, and a um, Achilles heel of managers. Stuart, let me ask you, 90th anniversary of Ross County this year, anything special planned? Or are you... Eh? A nice uh, Oh, right, I'm, I'm seeing that. Um, have you seen the strip? No, I haven't. I have. I have, Stuart, I like it. But you're not going to wear it, are you? No, no, I think... I think the plan, um, Michael Gardine, he's in his uh, testimonial year. What a brilliant servant he's been for the club. So um, I think that the, the, the understanding is obviously the, the shot um, marks the, the 90th year of the football club. Um, and, and I think Michael will be later on in the year looking for that, looking to have that testimonial and it's potentially a shot that, that might be worn in the game. And we thought that that would be a nice mark and a, um, probably a nice way to go about things. It's obviously available for our supporters to, to buy. Um, it's, it's obviously off the basis of the football club that was um, that was resembling the first trip that the football club ever had 90 years ago. So um, that's where it all comes. I think it's a nice touch for the football club. I think it's it's also a nice touch because it's 25 years of Ross County in the senior leagues as well, which is which is brilliant. Um, and, and you guys look at it, the, the journey that's come over that that 25 years, and the club is in its infancy in the, in the the senior leagues in Scotland, and, and what's been achieved and the successes and the the highs in that period of time have been brilliant, and just absolutely delighted to have been a part of it. Um, and hopefully continue to be. Listen, I've got Liam Telfer who tweets regularly for us. He says, what are County's ambitions? Is it to stay in the SPL SPL every season or do they want to break top six within the next five years? Again, we we don't want to sound as if we've got a lack of ambition here. Um, We said from day one this season, and again, Bill, you remember me saying last year, we keep those goals in-house. We do not shout our mouth off and tell people what we're going to do um, because I I just believe it can be disrespectful. And um, As long as we know in-house what we're looking to achieve this season, what we have said is, first and foremost, we need to consolidate our our position in the league. We need to make sure that we're a um, Premier League team come the start of next season. Um, Being the promoted club, that's um, we see that as being a, a big achievement, but you just never know where you're able to go if you, you got off to a decent start like we think we have done and you're able to string together a good run of form and a good run of results, then you just never know where it takes you. But um, we always reference back to the, the big city clubs and the challenge that we will have to, to break in amongst that. We're never going to be able to um, compete with the size of clubs of Aberdeen, Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Hibs, for example. They're, they're massive clubs, massive institutes. Um, and we just have to make sure that we're the best version that we can be of ourselves. And um, and, and obviously from that, there's been brilliant successes over the years. Top sixes, winning uh, the League Cup under Jim McIntyre, um, you know, getting to Scottish Cup finals, all those types of things. Top five, I think it was a fifth place finish for us when I played. Um, so there's been brilliant, uh, brilliant spells. But what we don't want to do is, is, is drop down and trying to have that sort of rebuilding process again. So we need to make sure that we've um, we've got that level of consistency where we can maintain a standard at the football club without overreaching, you know, uh, our means. Um, but equal to that, don't underachieve, don't 
don't sell yourself short. Um, and, and hopefully with the, the direction we've got and the mindset of the, the players and the staff at the football club, um, we, we can keep that in an even keel um, and, and keep ourselves ticking along. Stuart, um, just before I let you go, you, you know I think that you've got one of the best chairmen, if not the best chairman in, in the league, and Roy McGregor. And Mr McGregor has put his money where his mouth is and he's he's been very, very... Uh, supportive of, of pretty much every manager that's been there but I always think Ross County are at their best and I think back to the, the two three seasons ago when they had all the foreign players in, I always think Ross County are at their best when they're being, and take this the right way if you would, being a traditional club who are settled and the one thing I think you've got at the minute is you've got a very settled club. Uh, and that, for me, is going to pay good dividends for you this season and moving onwards. There's a, a blueprint with Ross County, and I think it's been shown to perfection at the minute. I wonder if you would agree with that. Nah, again, Bill, absolutely d- delighted that you, that you say that because that's it's, it's nice to, it's obviously nice to hear people that know the game and, and people that are uh, hugely enthusiastic in the game saying that type of thing because that was what myself and Stephen and, and the chairman were always looking for. That was what we were striving for. And it's certainly not to discredit any work that's, that's, that's been done before, but the harsh reality was we were relegated um, and, and we, we probably had to consolidate and evaluate. Um, and, and for us, we were trying to create a culture of, of what we know um, has worked in the past at Ross County, what we know... Um, could potentially drive the club forward. Um, you know, not looking to overspend our means. You know, looking to just continually ask the chairman if he can, um, if he can dig deep. I think sometimes it, it can become a, it can become a bigger picture than that. It can become getting the right folk in. You, you've said that 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 identity, that sort of culture that you create at the football club, and that's what we've tried to do. Um, you obviously want to do an awful lot of work out in the pitch. Um, to make sure that your team have an understanding of what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to do, um, and I, and I think that that's that, that's a solid foundation for yeah. for Ross County. As I say, I've been a part of that as a as a coach, um, Stephen, as a coach, as a player. Um, you, you start to have an understanding of hopefully what people in this area appreciate from their football club, and you want to try and deliver on it as best possible. I think the one thing that we, we don't want to do is cheat our supporters and, and, and try and give them something that, that they enjoy and that they, they, they thoroughly get behind. And, and to be fair, they've done that for, for our period to now. Um, and it's on us to just continue to look to evolve and, and tweak things rather than have that overhaul, rip it up and start again. Listen, mate, it's always good to talk to you. Good luck for tomorrow night against Rangers. Good luck against Hamilton. Uh, and good luck for the rest of the season. I know we'll be talking to you long before the season's over. Uh, but well done on the start that you've got. And, and congratulations to both you and Stephen. Uh, what were you going to say? Yes, luck. I'm saying to anyone that doesn't know the difference between uh, Stuart and Stephen, you'll be able to tell by the barnet. Because uh, <laughs> I think it's going along the social media that Stuart's got one of the best barnets in the game. So, yes, and luck. Congratulations for you, Stuart. Stephen's uh, always wanted a middle partner. <laughs> 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 Peaky Blinders inspired him, I'd say, but it's, it, people always say on Twitter it's, it's the best Barnet in the Premier League, so congratulations. Us bearded brothers have got to stay together as well, so listen, it's always good <laughs> to talk to you, mate. Thank you very much again for being on with us, uh, and as I say, good luck for tomorrow, good luck for the weekend, and for the rest of the season. Appreciate it, you and Bill. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank no you. worries, Bye-bye. mate. Thanks again. That's uh, Stuart Kettlewell, uh, co-manager at Ross County, uh, talking to us tonight. Always good to talk. I, I, I like speaking to 
<laughs> Stuart, because I just love the effervescence of him, the enthusiasm, you know, that you can hear it, it comes through. And I also like the fact that they're down to earth, but there is a blueprint for Ross County. When Ross County have been at their strongest, it's been when they've been, for one, and this sounds really twee, but it's been when they've been a happy club, and I think they're a happy club at the minute. It's settled. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody fits in. Everybody wants to be there. Everybody wants to play for the managers. Uh, And it couldn't be any better for them as a club, in my view. No, I, I generally don't. I think where we are at the moment is a credit to the Stuart and Stephen and, and Roy and stuff like that. He obviously puts his hand in his pocket and I think he might touch on Dungeon United later. Whenever that happens in the Championship, there's a little bit of envy from the other clubs and fans go, oh, they've bought the league and stuff like that. But I don't think that's the case. I think that it's an incredible football club. It's a lovely part of the world up in Dingwall as well. So you understand why players might want to go up and live there because it's a nice place to be and... Look at their squad. I just, I just think the experience they've got in it makes such a difference, mm. and they're, they're all good pros. You know, they're yeah. all. You know what you get from them. Oh, Stuart's admitted himself they get turned over six 0 by Celtic, but Aberdeen get turned over four 0 by Celtic at, at home, not going to Celtic Park, and I think Celtic the foot off the gas uh, the weekend because that could have been six seven to Celtic as well. So it's no disservice going to Celtic Park and getting and getting beat six 0 But have you noticed that there's two or three key players there that have either been at Inverness previously or have been at Ross County previously, so they know the Highlands and they know that area and I think that helps as well because they know the clubs and they know what the clubs expect and what the fans expect. Hundred percent and I was speaking to Stuart on the phone earlier and he said the amount of people on the ground tomorrow night way more than the population of Dingwall. So it's just a fantastic that they've got Rangers or travel up to there in good form and you've got Stephen Gerrard and they're all going up to Dingwall to play a game of football and the whole of Scotland will be will be watching it it's, it's like the nights that the club must dream of so credit to Roy and credit to the players and the managers I remember there. asking Roy McGregor is it a difficult sell getting people to go to Ross County he said it's a difficult sell getting them there initially but once they get there and see the club and see the infrastructure and they've got great training facilities they do uh, he said once they're here we don't have any problems keeping them here. It's no surprise. And when they're, when they're playing that level and looking at the league table, I agree with Stuart and Stephen are wise not to put targets on, on it. But I think, realistically, like you said, if they can stay in the league this season, that is a successful season. There's no right, effort. So maybe, and even if it comes that they're maybe sitting 6, 7 for 8 for the turn of the year and they end up finishing 9 for 10, that doesn't matter to me. To me, if they stay in the league, they can consolidate, they can build on the squad, bring in a couple of our players... Yeah, I think staying in the league main thing, but they're enjoying a fantastic season so far. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll look at some of the fixtures happening in the Championship tonight. There are some plum ties uh, and we'll discuss them next. At Motorpoint, we put the super into car supermarket. We're here to save the day with a choice of over 7,000 low mileage, nearly new cars. Find your next car in a flash with our lightning fast service and same day drive away. Plus, with Motorpoint's price pledge, if you find the same car for less, we'll match the price and give you a £50 Amazon voucher. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today, just two minutes from Junction 3 of the M74. T's and C's apply. See website for details. Christine from Hull was persuaded by Lloyds Bank to talk to a financial advisor and ended up making an investment which lost money. She asked Goodwin Barrett for help and received £6,900 in compensation. Christine is just one of the hundreds of people who Goodwin Barrett have helped. So if a bank or financial advisor persuaded you to make an investment which lost money, then text GOOD to 66777. Text GOOD to 66777 now. Goodwin Barrett. 
Do you hear that? That's your family coming round to your new house for Sunday lunch. Your son opening the door of his first home. Visitors arriving at your guest house. Friends coming over to watch the football. Scottish Building Society offer a range of mortgages, so we can turn this into this. Love. Scottish Building Society. We've been helping people open doors since 1848. Call us today on 0345 600 4085. Scottish Building Society is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Six out of every ten UK businesses could be paying too much for their energy. That's because 60% of UK businesses haven't changed energy supplies in the past three years. At Love Energy Savings, we make switching to a better deal fast and easy because we do it all for you. See if you could start making significant savings on your business energy bills now. Text SAVE to 6677. Text SAVE to 6677 now and love those business energy savings. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. OK, Ewan, there's uh, pretty much a full card going on tonight in terms of the championship. Uh, has been uh, most of the games are shown as kicked off. Uh, Aloha against Dundee. Uh, Dundee United against the Jags. Dunfermline against Arbroath. Morton against Ayr. Uh, Queen of the South against Inverness. Cali Thistle. No scores so far, obviously, because they've only just started. Uh, let's start with Aloha against uh, Dundee. Yeah, it's a game that <laughs> I was literally just putting a bet on before, and if you do bet, do gamble responsibly. I had no idea how to call that one because Aloha at home are good, and they beat Dundee United at home. And Dundee for me, I watched I watched most of the game on Friday night against Air, and they were quite good in spells. But mm-hmm. at the moment, I still don't think it's quite clicking for them the way they should. But very good players, if you look throughout the squad, very good players indeed. I don't know how to call that. I think there'll be goals in the game. I think Aloha will score. I think Dundee will probably score, so I think Dundee might nick that. I'm going the other way, because I think it'll be quite stuffy. Mm-hmm. I don't think there'll be a lot of goals. Uh, I think the odd one will win it, and I've got to be honest with you, I think at home, Aloha could take this, only because they go on these little runs where they get nothing or they get draws, and then all of a sudden they steal a result from somebody. And I've got a funny feeling Dundee could be that team tonight that suffers at the hands of Aloha, in all honesty. Yeah, I agree. Because if you look at that, if you look at the teams in paper, you look at some of the players that Dundee have. I'm looking at it. You've got Kerr, Byrne, Paul. Mc, I think Paul McGowan and Graham Dorans is a centre midfield pair, and at that level was excellent. Like McGowan's a good player. <laughs> he's got obviously got a lot of issues off the field in the past, but in terms of as a footballer, he's our captain. I think he's a very, very good midfielder. I always think. I always think the surface. Uh, Aloha will play a part in it as well It's quite icy tonight as well So it might, it might deal with that with the surface So I think it'll be quite a good game I, I, it's, See if you look at the Championship Every week I look at the Championship And uh, I'm looking at every game tonight And there's only one Where I could probably say I'm confident I get the result right Right, go on, which one is that? <laughs> it's the one it shouldn't be considering who I support <laughs> So I'll let you work that out But I think Thistle might struggle up at Dundee United. Uh, well, Dundee United, Thistle, obviously, is the next fixture. Uh, Dundee United have had a couple of horrible results. Mm-hmm. Um, Thistle are bottom of the table. United are top of the table. The league never lies. There should be a gulf in difference between them. I don't think that'll be the, the case. I actually think Thistle can take a point. 
I think Fissel can. Listen, like I said earlier, it'd be very partic Fissel to lose three one at home to Arbroath and go up and beat Dundee United. Well, that is true. I'm, I fingers crossed it happens, but I mean, I, I'm not overly confident tonight. I just think that Dundee United at home are different from Dundee United away. I think if you look at the results, they lost at Alloa and then they get thrashed down at Queen of the South, both away, both in plastic. And I think playing that surface makes a real difference to any team I think Shanklin will, will inevitably score at some point tonight I know Nicky Clark's back as well he's a boy that scores goals at that level um, so I, I expect Angie didn't to be too strong with Fissel well, we were talking to Liz because she was waxing lyrical about the combination of Lon Shanklin and Nicky um, at the weekend uh, and we, she was, you know, saying that it's just like the thing for, you know, Nicky to be left out tonight. He's not. He's starting. Uh, let me tell you, Sigrid Smith, uh, Butcher, Reynolds, Robson, McMullen, King, Harks, uh, Pollock, Clark and Shankland. That's for Dundee United. For Thistle, Fox, Williamson, Saunders, McGinty, Penrice, Palmer, Gordon, Bannigan, Cardell, Miller, Zanata. Yeah, well, he's changed it a little bit. I've got teams in front of me here. Joe Carlo picked up a hammy on Friday, so I'm surprised he's back so quickly. Unless there's a little bit of nah, I'm not going to say anything. I think I'm surprised that Joe Cardo's back. Zanata's back, so Fissel have a bit of pace um, on the break, not through Joe Cardo, but through Zanata. Uh, Kenny Miller, of course, is up front. <laughs> I say all the time, looking at Fissel's squad, it is pretty strong in terms of their bench at that level. They just have no problems. You've got the likes of Thomas Aware, Gary Harkins, Craig Slater. Um, Oz and Kakai, all decent players on the bench. It depends how it starts. I think if Fissel can keep it tight and then look the next something, then they've got a chance. I just look at that Dundee United team and I mean, Paul and McMillan are two good midfielders. I think Reynolds is good at the back, as is Butcher, albeit I think they both lack a little bit of pace. But I look at who Fissel are playing up front and it's Kenny Miller. Um, and watching Kenny Miller this season... I won't be overly too critical of him, but at times his goal scoring record has overshadowed, not has hid uh, his performances at times. So I think uh, often in games he's, he's not really involved in the game. Mm. I think maybe his best attribute these days is, is moaning. He spends a lot of his time moaning. Um, that being said, he, he scored a lot of goals, so you have to give him a little bit of credit there. I think he's a good player at this level. I just, I just wonder. I think in January, first we'll look to bring in a striker. It's interesting because I think you've made a very good point. It's very thistle to to go down to a broth and then go to Dundee United and win. Uh, and I think that's a very good point. They're just that kind of team. Especially this season, 100%. Yeah. Uh, Dunfermline against our broth. Well, the Bunnett obviously going back to East End Park. He spent time there as manager. He knows the club. He knows the setup. Um are both, again, are one of these clubs that will take points off teams all season long uh, and spoil the party for them. Uh, will they do it at Dunfermline? I don't know. Uh, I've got a funny feeling about this one. Dunfermline are due for a win at some point. Uh, will it be tonight? I just, I don't know. I think that could be a draw tonight. Do you know what I find fascinating? These are the weird things in football that really interest me and they probably shouldn't. But I asked Dick after the game on Saturday, I was saying, because you're a part-time side and you play Tuesday night, you don't have a chance to train before the game, do you? And he was like, no. I find that amazing that mm. this team will play Saturday, probably do recovery day Sunday, but all the boys will be at work on Monday, they won't train. So how do you prepare for a game? On the bus up, do you do tactics and stuff like that? It's, I just feel like that's when... 
the scheduling of the games could be better because if this why is this game not on tomorrow night? Why are these yeah. games not on tomorrow night? Because they give the team I think it's a completely unfair advantage to them and most people probably won't pick up on this. But I found at the time I thought if you're playing Tuesday night and you've played Saturday, you, you can't train. So how do you prepare your boys for the, the team do you do no, over text? I, I just find it strange and I think I don't know why these games are on Tuesday night. I don't know why it couldn't have been played tomorrow night. Because to me, I, I just think that's what's swaying it towards Dunfermline for me. I've not been impressed with Dunfermline this season. And I wonder that, I believe that Campbell was close to getting a Dunfermline job. Not when Stevie Crawford was appointed the manager before him. I can't remember who it was. Was it, it wasn't Johnson, was it? Yeah, it was Alan Johnson. I believe that Dick Campbell was in the frame for that at that point. And... Be interesting to see if Dick ever gets another managerial role uh, at a full time club. I, I don't think Dick would want it now. I think Dick's quite happy with his health, you know, problems that he's had in recent years. I think Dick would be quite happy to to just do what he's doing. In all honesty, no, I, I agree with you. But at the same time, I imagine you say that though. But imagine Aberdeen came in for him, he'd probably move. But <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. I don't think he'll leave uh, Arbo for any time soon. Here's a here's a stat for you, which is quite interesting. Other than Dundee United, in the last five games, no team has won more than two games out of the last five. Yeah, like I was talking about putting a bet on before, any team in this league can beat anyone. It's, it's honestly mental. It's, I've just been looking at it now. The last five games, Dundee United have won three games. Everybody else has won two or one out of the last five. There's no other league like it in Scotland. There genuinely isn't. Even at the Premiership level, you've got Rangers and Celtic, who most teams will struggle to to beat across the season. At, at League Two, you've also got Cove who are going really well. At League One, you've got East Fife, Falkirk, and Rafe who I think are above it. I think if you take Dundee United out, I think they are the best team in the league. I don't think they play particularly great football at times, and I think that they could play better. But yeah, I think anyone can beat anyone, and it's, it's I think it's the best league in Scotland. I'd go as far as saying it's my the Scottish Championship is my favourite league in the world. It's it because your team's there. It's not though, because Fistle could be in, <laughs> Fistle could be in the, top, the top flight and I'd still enjoy it. No, you'd, you'd go for Fistle no, in the top flight. Don't I'd, tell me lies. No, no, what I'd say is... I know you. It's probably because Fistle are in it that I watch it as much as I do because I'm at games mm. quite a lot of the time. But to me, it's the best league in Scotland. It's an incredible league and I cannot believe... That's not televised. All right. Let me ask you, Morton against Air United. Air, of course, sitting uh, sitting top of the table. Uh, th- three points behind Dundee United. Morton down in seventh. Uh, five points behind Air. Um, I've got to be honest with you, I'm disappointed with Morton this season. I thought they'd have been hovering round about that top four or five spot. Now, again, it only takes a couple of wins to take you there. But I just thought they'd have got off to a better start than they have done. Yeah, I think in terms of Morton, I think you have to consider everything. I always say in football that if you look at budgets in any league, the team with the highest budgets finish at the top of the table. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, a given. The team with the lowest. And I think Morton, if you looked at budgets, would be about 7 for 8 from that league. Mm. And I think, I actually think they'll, they'll outperform this season. I do think they'll finish... I think they might just miss out in the playoffs. I think they'll be safe because I think at home they're very, very good at home. And I think the way that David Hopkins got them playing football at Capelo is a very difficult place to go. It's a tight pitch. I think they're very good at home and stuff like that can help them in terms of the way they play football. They'll pick up a lot of points at home. I think if they can push for the playoff positions this season, I think it'll be an excellent season for Morton. And it's about consolidation uh, this season. And I believe that next season 
would Hopkins get more of a chance to to mould his squad? I can see them pushing to get back. I, I don't see I don't see Morton making the playoffs this season. No, I, I really don't. I don't either. But I think if they can maybe have a chance with say six eight six to eight games to go, if they can have a chance of getting into the playoffs. Then that'd be a fairly good season. For I don't. Them. I know they've got a great home record, but at the minute I just don't see them taking the points tonight. I think Air United will take the points tonight. See, I think this game is the one you can't call because. Although Air are, are second and play good football, I think the way they play, they could struggle at Capelo. And also, I think that see if Air can finish in the top four this season, fantastic for them, fantastic season for I'm them. I'm going to stick with Air for me on this one. Queen of the South against Inverness, Cali Thistle. Uh, Queen of the South have been up and down like a fiddler's elbow for the last couple of seasons. Uh, Alan Johnson, Sandy Clark there now. Uh, again a team that's only won two of the last five but they're sitting sixth in the table at the minute against Inverness Cali Thistle who are sitting third uh, Cali Thistle are just kind of inconsistent for me every team in this every team in this league is inconsistent well that's true when you look at it yeah. <laughs> you don't get that's what I'm saying it's a crazy league when you, you, do. you do not get consistency in it yeah um, again that game could go either way if Dobie scores Cali are side, I think they're punching above their weight again in terms of budgets and stuff like that. I think John Robertson's a fantastic job. I think that his name will be in the picture if certain jobs become available in Edinburgh as well because maybe not even as number one, maybe as number two because I can see him maybe going back in that capacity as number two to someone. Mm, possibly, possibly. I think he's a fantastic... Who are you going for with this one, Queen of the South against Cali Thistle? I don't even know. A draw. Okay. All right, well, that's just about it for tonight. Uh, we'll see how many of those we get right tomorrow night. No goal so far, which is no, still nothing each. Minutes. Still nothing each between them all, so there's uh, uh, there's a way to go. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see who does come out with the spoils tonight. Uh, thank you for your company.